spring, yeah, right? It's par for the course. I'm um, tired. You know, the in listening to the game, because I, I was driving back yesterday, I listened to the entire thing. Matt Taylor, uh, Rick Venturi, great job. Lara Overton, uh, an enjoyable listen and, and listening to it. And then coming back, you know, reading about it and watching some of the, you know, people said, you, I can't believe you didn't watch a game. Well, you know, they have DVRs. Um, I'll tell you the guy that, that we just don't talk enough about, Kevin, maybe we do on this program, actually, but Grover Stewart's really good. Oh, man. man. I mean, that, that he is really good. He is. And, you know, it was a really poor day for the run defense. Um, your guy, Trevor Lawrence, continues to have efficient days against the Colts. 20 of 22, 91% completion percentage. But Grover Stewart made some huge plays. There was a play early on, Jake, that I thought things were teetering. The Colts were down 14-3. Fifth straight time, you've been down double digits to an AFC South opponent. And it's a third and two. And Tyquan Lewis just bull rushes the Jacksonville right guard into Trevor Lawrence for the sack. That was just one of those moments I thought in the first half where Jacksonville had found easy success offensively. The Colts were not finishing off drives yet. And if Jacksonville puts together another drive there, hell, even if they kick a field goal, um, they take time off the clock, they get the ball to start the third quarter. I thought that was a huge play early on, along with the DeForest Buckner sack that took Jacksonville out of field goal range, I think on their first drive of the game. But that play by Lewis, midway through the second quarter, they gave the Colts a little bit of hope, a little bit of belief there. Boom, Indy scores 10 points before halftime. And yeah, Jacksonville came out and had a great drive to start the third quarter. But I thought that was a critical moment where recent history against the AFC South was staring you right in the face. And Tyquan Lewis made a huge play there, playing for Quiddy Pay. And uh, that was, I thought, massive early on. You know, another thing that happened, and by the way, good morning to you. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Kevin Bowen, Sam Fritz, capably filling in as Mark Dykton is on vacation. Uh, it is Kevin and Quarry here, 93.5-1075, the fan on a Monday. A Colts win Monday, which I know for most of you puts a little extra pep in the step, understandably so here in Indianapolis. Um, Kevin, one of the things, and I remember you saying this last year, about three quarters of the way through. We came in one morning. It was after a Colts weekend. The Colts had won. I don't recall which week it was. And you said, you know, there were more than just the on-field victory for the Colts themselves yesterday. And I thought, hmm, where's he going with that? And you said, look at the scoreboard. And there was one particular week a year ago, I don't remember which one it was, when the Colts all of a sudden got themselves into the left lane and everybody else hit a traffic jam in the middle lane. And it kind of opened things up for the Colts in terms of when all of a sudden they became the team in the AFC that people were like, whoa, what about Indianapolis? The reason I say this because yesterday didn't happen with the same frequency, but some of the franchises, some of the teams that you look at, if the Colts were to not win the division, which, I, I mean, I do think they're going to win probably the AFC South if they stay healthy here. But if for some reason the AFC comes down to earth a little bit to the point where they are still in wildcard contention, who are the franchises, the teams they would be up against? Miami loses yesterday. Baltimore loses yesterday. I mean, things are like – there's a lot more quicksand in the AFC, I think, than people realize. You yeah, know what I mean? I mean, right now the New York Jets would be a wildcard team. How about that? Winning at Lambeau yesterday. What's going on with the Packers, man? Right. 
And tonight's game will have no bearing on necessarily the Colts' current standing. The Colts are the seventh seed. I know it's extremely early to even talk about that stuff, but right now they are clinging to that final wild card spot. And again, with Tennessee coming off their bye week, it's going to be a huge one on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look around the league, Jake, the Giants and the Jets, New York's teams continue to get it done. Philly uh, held on to beat Dallas last night. They're undefeated. If you look at the Eagles' schedule, they very well could come into Lucas Oil Stadium here in a few weeks undefeated. I think they go bye week, and I want to say it's like Texans, Steelers, Commanders. If the – you ready for this? 7, 10 a.m. on October – what is today, 16th? Uh, 17th. 17th? If the Philadelphia Eagles come into Indianapolis unbeaten, the Colts beat them. Write it down right now. Did you see Nick Sirianni at the end of the game last night? Did not. A few choice words for the Dallas sideline. Little little fire with Nick Sirianni. Honestly, some fire from Frank Reich yesterday after the Matt Ryan touchdown. That, that call, Jake, I don't think Frank Reich makes that call last season. I don't think Frank Reich makes that call... Hell, last week. I would guess 80 to 90% of NFL coaches in that situation, third and 13, under 30 seconds to go, the team, the opposing team has a timeout. I would venture to guess that they would run the ball or a very high percentage throw to continue to run the clock, make the other team use their final timeout, etc. Stay away from a holding penalty. Stay away from a sack. Yet Frank Reich... I think had belief in, I guess, three different parties. First off, he had belief in his quarterback. And this goes back to what we said when Matt Ryan was acquired. And you can't say this without it being a shot at Carson Wentz, but the Colts should, and they do, have confidence in this year's number two late in games that they didn't have last year. So that's one layer of it. Two, you clearly have belief in your rookie wideout. And right now is certainly not a great time to be a Notre Dame football fan. It wasn't great last year when Cincinnati came into South Bend and Alec Pierce made a play like that to win the game. He did the same same thing in Bloomington. The, his Pierce's greatest strength is making these clutch one-on-one catches. And then I would say the third element of Reich's belief was the offensive line told him that, hey, we can hold up here. We can give Matt Ryan protection enough time to hang in there yeah that's that's a good point and give Pierce a chance now Ryan got hit on the play it was a hell of a throw Matt Pryor got beat and um, Ryan got hit low and still put the ball right on the money for Pierce to go up and make a play again that call that throw that catch I don't think it happens last year I don't think it happens last week and these are the signs that I guess I was alluding to out of the gate here Jacob you've got to put repeatable performances together. You've got to get off the better starts. We're still a ways away from crowning the Indianapolis Colts. But yesterday, you saw signs that hadn't been there in either victory this season. You know, another thing that's interesting to me, as much as we talk about myself included all the time, passing league, passing league, it's now a passing league. Look at some of the winning performances yesterday. Jalen Hurts. 15 of 25 for 155 yards through the air in a win. Geno Smith, 20 of 31 for 197 yards in a win. Zach Wilson, my fantasy QB. Zach Wilson, 10 of 18 for 110 yards in a win. Kirk Cousins, 20 of 30 for 175 yards in a win. 
I mean, haven't we become accustomed to believing that you have to have a 350-yard game in order to win? Doesn't that seem like today's NFL? Yeah, yesterday was certainly an outlier in several areas. Daniel Jones, 19 of 27, 173 yards in a win. Marcus Mariota, 13 of 14, 129 yards in a win. How about the Falcons, 3-3? Three and three? Now, another thing that – how about – or the give Steelers Mar- beating the Bucks. Give Marcus Mariota credit, right? I mean, like people were like, yeah, yeah this I've always kind of liked Mariota. Yeah, I mean, but the other thing that I thought about yesterday, Kevin, I heard your voice in my head. Oh gosh. I know. I'm nervous. I heard your voice saying, "Listen, Colts fans, you need him to start as many games as possible. You need him to take as many snaps as possible. And what happens yesterday? Do I see the headlines? But did you see who's going to be undergoing x-rays to find out if he's got a broken finger? Carson Wentz? Correct. Throwing hand, right? I think that's right. Gosh. I mean, otherwise I realize who cares about the quarterback of a 2-4 and four football team in the other conference except for right. that you have a draft pick that is affected by how many snaps he takes. And Jake, their bye week, Washington, is extremely late. I think it's with the Colts. So, you know, them having a bye week here coming up in late October, early November, it's not like, you know, he could rest a little bit and that wouldn't impact the 70% playing time threshold. So, yeah, that's very much in jeopardy, I think, given his injury situation. And honestly, if you're Washington, wouldn't you say to yourself, boy, this is a perfect time to sit him Right. Maintain the draft pick and then play the rookie in Sam Howell. A whole lot to get to today on Kevin and Corey. Jeff Saturday is going to join us at 930. We are just two days away from the Pacers season opener. Gets underway with the Wizards at Gamebridge Fieldhouse on Wednesday night. Purdue won a really kind of a back and forth shootout on Saturday night at Ross Aid. Indiana had some moments. I mean, several fourth quarter moments where it looked like they were going to get it done against Maryland. They lose, so their bowl eligibility is pretty much on life support. Notre Dame with a horrific loss to Stanford at home. And Jake is back from a little SEC visit, correct? That is correct. Excuse me. Um, My buddy Byron and I did our annual Kevin Turhan Donner Memorial Road Trip, which I have discussed in terms of the motivation for that. Um, We flew into New Orleans, stayed Thursday night in Baton Rouge. Have you been to Baton Rouge, Kevin? No. Let me tell you something. The LSU campus. Yeah, we, you were raving about it. To oh, my on. Lord. Like, you know, there are certain schools you drive through the campus and you're like, why would you not go here if you were a recruit? LSU. I mean, that campus is gorgeous. Like, mm-hmm. for a state university, it was, it's got a huge lake in the middle of it. The buildings are pristine. It was, now granted, it was fall break, I I think. You felt like family? I did, man. I, I felt like family at LSU. LSU was beautiful. Uh, Eric Ritchie, former Fox 59 sports director who lives in New Orleans, hooked up with us on Thursday night. Uh, we sat and had a beer with them and, and chatted. It was awesome. And then Saturday, spent the day at Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi campus in Oxford, also absolutely beautiful. I mean, it was it's a beautiful campus. And we did the tailgating at the Grove. And then Ole Miss and Auburn didn't actually go into the game, just sat out and tailgated with uh, some family of Byron's, and it was great. The, the hospitality, unbelievable, needless to stay. And then we drove to Nashville Saturday night, 
and we're, we were in suburban Nashville driving towards our hotel listening to the Tennessee radio network. Did you hear the call? No. The, the I, radio I call? Uh-uh. I'll see if I can get Sam to, to, to get it here. I I was stunned by the radio call. I mean, I'm in the car. The university. I'm listening to the University of Tennessee football network. Tennessee is getting ready for the first time in like eight years to try to beat Alabama, who's number one in the country. Gosh, I think it was longer than eight years. And the top, the, you know, the top build game of the week, game of the, the decade for the Tennessee Volunteers. And literally, I mean, I'm like, holy cow, I can only imagine how awesome this radio call is going to be. And the guy's like, Oh, I, I, I did hear it. It was really, really subdued, right? Yeah. It was just like, mm-hmm. it, it, it sounded like the guy hit a 35 yarder in the third quarter against Furman in September, except for that it was a 50 yarder to beat number one Alabama. You know what I mean? And it was a wobbler. I thought it got tipped at first. And then I'm literally watching it, and I, I thought to myself, as they stormed the field, I'm like, I swear that dude looks like Race Thompson. In fact, it did. Trey Jackson Davis and Race Thompson stormed the field at Neyland. They were there with uh, to watch, I guess, or hang out with Trace's little brother, Peyton Manning, smoking a cigar in the postgame locker room with the volunteer crew. What a, I don't know, maybe it's a Notre Dame fan coming out in me, Jake, but I do love when you have some of these former blue blood college football programs when they retaste success and you feel these environments. I mean, how awesome was the environment in Knoxville? Oh, all day, the game, post game. Hell, they literally took the goalpost out of the stadium in the Tennessee River. And then, did you see what Tennessee's doing? Was it a GoFundMe? <laughs> the fans are paying for the fine. How great is that? They got great. They're raising a ton of money for it. Uh, absolutely loved it. Hell of an effort by Tennessee. I thought uh, when Alabama went up seven there in the fourth quarter, I'm like, oh. There was your chance, but what an awesome game. I think Colts fans probably had an eye on a couple of the quarterbacks maybe in that game. Uh, but, yeah, Tennessee beats Alabama. Michigan takes care of Penn State. And Jake Purdue just does what they need to do. How about the Boilers, I, man? As I said on Friday, I didn't love Purdue covering. I like that Indiana covering. But Purdue takes care of business, holds serve, and now they go to a place that has not been very kind to them in Camp Randall. But Wisconsin, though, is down, not, right? It's not normal Wisconsin by any means, but I feel like in the vibe I get from Purdue fans, they don't want to hear any of that. They know that they haven't won. The, is it 15 straight they've lost there? Can I utter a comment that I, I, I don't want to utter again, but I'm going to? Sure. I, look, I, I, I think he's a wonderful guy, and I – I think he probably for a year or so was the right guy at the right time when college football was in a very odd place. But in terms of Indiana football, Tom Allen ain't it. Said it before and I'll say it again, he ain't it. And Indiana, as Indiana does, had to rush out and immediately ink him to an ironclad deal and I don't know how they're going to get out of that. But Yeah, he was the perfect COVID coach. That is correct. He's a wonderful guy, no doubt about it. But I, I'm sorry, they just that team. When you are at home against a team like Maryland, that they are flat out. I listened to that game too. We listened to the entire game. They are too sloppy. 
They they do not look prepared. They look like they don't know what's going on. They are too undisciplined. Um, I'm glad they all love each other, but they make too many mistakes. I was shocked they had a lead for such a long stretch there in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And then Tua's little brother gets hurt, and Billy right. Edwards comes in. <laughs> right. Jake, the dude, didn't complete a pass, and yet they still came back and won. Exactly. I, 38-33, I mean, Indiana's bowl eligibility, like I said, on life support with that to one. To say the least. Uh, hoping to have, you said Rick Carlisle tomorrow? I, they are checking today, but it looks like tomorrow would be the day we'd have him. I think yeah. we're going to have Alec Pierce tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, you think Jim Irsay will have a video to talk about Alex's day? <laughs> you think he knows his name yet? Poor, poor, poor Alex Pierce. No, it's Alec. I think what he did to end that game um alec pierce or jim ursay <laughs> pierce it was probably it is really unique i think for a rookie um in that you have a guy that again his greatest strength is such a game-changing ability i mean i would say it's not far-fetched to make the comment that the colts best play this season is throwing the ball down the field to alec pierce Either he comes down with it or he gets a flag. Yesterday, he drew a couple flags. Um, that's such a weapon and big-time credit. I know we have, and I think rightfully so, called out Frank Reich at times this season. But yesterday, brilliant. In the game plan, to help out his offensive line, to help out a skill group that was down, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, going to go tempo. We talked about it early last week, Jake. What else would they do coming out of the mini bye week what else i mean this is your chance to right. to do something differently they did something differently they helped out their pass protection matt ryan got the ball out the quickest he has all season long i think it was the um third most no huddle snaps of any team in the nfl this season and then he wasn't going to sit there and say you know what we hope chase mclaughlin continues to make kicks from around 50 yards no he said let's go and try and win the football game and I think there was a lot of reasons to do it. I don't think it was just Frank Reich being aggressive, and that's who he is. I think there was a lot of reasons to take a chance at that time. They did it, and that's why on this Monday, I think Colts fans should feel the best they have all year following a, a, a win. Jeff, Saturday, the Colts will join us just about two hours from now. We'll get you caught up coming back on everything that happened overnight and the headlines in the world of sports, and then... In about 15 minutes, a question that might be looming for the Colts that eventually they're going to have to answer. We'll get to all of that on a Monday. Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. The Colts came out throwing up-tempo, no huddle, and it worked brilliantly. 34-point score. That's the most in nearly a year. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-27 for their first divisional win of the season here was frank reich afterwards on the plan that's kind of been in a been in the works for a couple weeks on using the no huddle i really wasn't worried at the beginning of the game when we weren't scoring and they scored a couple times we, we were talking on the sideline i could feel we had a rhythm on offense I, I felt like the no huddle even in those first couple drives was doing what we wanted it to do but it was our first time really doing it so i just felt like it was a matter of time before we get it going and wear them down and, and get some points Jake, the Colts had nine drives yesterday. Eight of those nine reached Jacksonville territory. They were, listen. That's pretty strong. 
Michael Pittman is the one that statistically jumps out at you, but you got to give a lot of credit to kind of the balance offensively. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, Deion I mean, Jackson. Paris Campbell. Huge. Paris Campbell, Alec solid. Alec Pierce when you need him. Alec Pierce is, it, listen, for a guy that's just in the a third of the way through his rookie campaign, that's a pretty accelerated pass for – uh, accelerated path for a wide receiver to start making an impact. Crosser after crosser, wide open for the Colts yesterday. Big day for the passing offense. Again, 3-2-1 and one, Indianapolis. Uh, taking a look at college football, by the way, the new AP Top 25 is out. Would you like to guess the number one team in the land, Kevin? Uh, Georgia? It is Georgia. Back to number one. Should be Ohio State, probably. Georgia number one, followed by Ohio State, Michigan, Tennessee, and Clemson. Of course, Purdue's the shakeup lurking, happening. Right? With Alabama falling from one to six, Purdue getting 23 votes. That puts them, by the way, at one, two, three, four, fifth in receiving votes. So Purdue's ranked 30th, basically. Uh, just a spot ahead of Maryland, who defeated Indiana. But back to Alabama losing to Tennessee. This is how it sounded on the Tennessee radio network. This is Bob Kessling, uh, who apparently is not the most exciting, or excitable, I should say. That came out the wrong way. Uh, individual, very stoic in his call. I thought as Tennessee knocks off number one to win the game against Alabama. Paxton Brooks to hold, waiting for the snap. There it is, the kick on the way, and that kick is knuckling toward the upright, and it's good. Just gets over the upright. Chase McGrath wins the game for Tennessee, and here they come. Everybody cheering in the celebration. The student section mobbing the field. They're mobbing Chase McGrath. They're mobbing Hendon Hooker. What jubilation in Big Orange country as the Tennessee Volunteers end a 15-game losing streak to the Alabama Crimson Tide to win the game. I, I mean, okay, right? Yeah, that was a little subdued. I mean, he is right, though. That kick, it looked like Tim Wakefield, Jake. Totally. When he kicked it, I'm like, there's no way that ball's going in. And I think if you watch the McGrath kid, the, the, the kicker, he's not very confident um, in that ball going in. But what an atmosphere in Knoxville. And what a win for the Volunteers. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday, it was the Yankees over the Guardians 4-2 in the ALDS. That now goes to a decisive Tonight, fifth baby. game. And Sam Fritz super excited because his Philadelphia Phillies are in the NLCS as they advance. Look, sometimes you just you got to get hot at the right time, right? Baseball, baseball, baseball. The Dodgers went over 100. The Mets, the Braves, none of them in the NLCS. That will start tomorrow night in San Diego, the Phillies and the Padres. And then tonight, like we said, game five, winner moves on to Houston for the ALCS. It'll be the Yankees as they win 4-2 last night uh, to keep their season alive, go back to Yankee Stadium, and they will take on the Guardians at 7-0-7. Jake, uh, the Pacers, they will open up their season on Wednesday night. It'll be the Wizards. If you look at this early stretch, Wizards, Spurs, and Pistons, the Spurs on Friday, the Pistons on Saturday – uh, this is probably one of the easier stretches of the year, and I say easy, and I know when you're scheduled to win 23 and a half games, that's probably not um, the right term, but this is a definitely a manageable first week of the season for the Pacers, so really curious to see how they play now that things are real. Tyrese Halliburton sat out Friday night again with a sore lower back, but all expectations are he will be ready to go on Wednesday night for their season opener the kevin push for 30 and that what we're calling push it? for 30 baby okay. yep that is exactly exactly what it is uh all right let's continue the colts conversation we'll take your calls as well 317-239-1070 on this victory monday the colts beat the jags 34 27 jeff saturday will join us 
in the 9 o'clock hour. Chilly start to this Monday here in Indy. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. A victory Monday here on Kevin and Quarry. 3-2-1, the Colts, 34 points in just a major shift in offensive approach. Uh, the up-tempo, the no-huddle worked brilliantly. The pass protection was outstanding. No sacks against Matt Ryan in 58 pass attempts, which really is unheard of. I mean, that is a wild figure. Um, I, I think he was hit only a handful of times. And again, this is a defensive unit in Jacksonville that hit Ryan 11 times and sacked him five back in the shutout loss in week two. Uh, I thought that was a brilliant plan by Frank Reich to kind of pass to set up the run. It's something we talked about coming into the game of how could you offset some things? How could you stay ahead of the chains, stay on schedule, those sorts of things? And Jake, I, I find myself looking back on yesterday and thinking, you know, if you're going to point to the rushing offense, the passing offense, the run defense, the pass defense, special teams, you know, all those areas, I was most skeptical about relying on the passing offense to win a game. Of all those areas, offensively, defensively, special teams, passing offense, you guys know full well, that was my biggest skepticism. And yesterday, they relied on it. It carried them. It carried them more, frankly, than they probably thought it was going to need uh, to – to be relied on, and I think that's where you exit yesterday and think, okay, you've put this on film now. You've got this in your back pocket. You've got to repeat performances. You've got to do it against better teams. you got to get off to better starts. you got to do it away from home, all those things. But the fact that you did that is a sign that I didn't think we would see this season. Kevin, from A to F, how would you grade Dennis Kelly? Uh, I, I would say... I give him a B for getting thrown in the fire like that. You get thrown in after a couple series. I did think they helped him out, which was smart. Uh, but yeah, I, I know he had one. I think he had one holding penalty. But yeah, I give him a solid B. Do you then wonder what took so long? Definitely. Uh, Dennis Kelly did miss the vast majority of training camp with a knee injury. Uh, but he has been healthy since probably the end of August. So I felt like when they started to make these changes up front, I'm thinking if you're going to go, if your thought process is short-term, if your thought process is let's get more experience at one of the tackle spots, Dennis Kelly had to have been an option. But they elected not to play him, which you know I guess a lot of it, Jay, comes down to how people want to view this season. Do you want to have one eye looking towards the future? Then you'd rather have Bernard Ryman in there. Right. If you fair. only fair. care about the here and now and want to see this team try and win problem, the AFC Kevin. South title. And I think this is a dilemma that a lot of the fan base has. It's just like, man, you're almost kind of torn. Like the Sam Ellinger move, and we can get more into that maybe later in the week, Jake. That Sam Ellinger move, that's got a lot of whispers from top down. That's got a lot of Jim Irsay influence on it. That's one eye towards the future. And, and I think, th- obviously, they aren't in the Pacers mode of things that you're going to see them operate with during the season. But that's something that I think is this awkward predicament for the Colts right now. 
239-1070 is the telephone number. We'll begin with Garrett, who wants to talk about that offensive line. Good morning, Garrett. How are you? Doing fine, thanks. I love to tell you, Dennis Kelly, he came in and played fantastic. They gave up no sacks, which they lead the NFL in sacks. So I don't know how you don't give him an A-plus, um, especially coming off. But it makes no sense why they'd bring Bernard Ryman in as the starter and then take him out after – you know, two series and then put in Kelly. They should have just started Kelly right off the bat. So I thought that was a very odd decision. Um, but offense looks great. They got to get the running game going. Um, they just look bad running the ball, which is crazy. But at least they could, you know, hold uh, keep Matt Ryan off the ground this week. That was great. So that leads to, Garrett, my question of the day. When you talk about the, the running game. This is a franchise, and I know that the that the National Football League evolves, Kevin, and that things are not, you know, from one year to the next, things do change. But the best running backs, the, the, the in terms of totality of career in of the Indianapolis Colts, what do Eric Dickerson, Marshall Falk, and Edron James all have in common? All of them left Indianapolis – with still another contract on the table from another franchise in terms of their lifespan. I, I, I realize Jonathan Taylor's significantly younger than they were at the time. Totally get it. But with Edron James, they got everything they could out of it and then moved on and went to Joseph Adai. With Eric Dickerson, they there's a little bit different situation because Dickerson basically requested a trade. But they went by committee with, like, say, Albert Bentley and I think, you know, uh, other guys that they used, eventually Roosevelt Potts. You get the point. Jonathan Taylor is a wonderful talent, no doubt. Probably the best running back in the National Football League, no question. Wonderful young guy. It seems to be absolutely everything you would want out of a teammate, employee, player, all of it. No question about any of that. And still has time left on his deal. But in today's NFL, are the Colts going to be in a situation where they look at it and they say, it's been 25 years since the leading rusher in the NFL went to the Super Bowl on the same roster, and you look at what they were able to do yesterday when they're able to move the ball around, does that make Jonathan Taylor, I hate to say expendable, but this is a guy that you would think could still, you could parlay into some pieces, and they do have areas that they need to still shore up and strengthen, and More interestingly, and this is the curveball in it, Kevin, the Colts are going to have to address the quarterback situation within the next year or two anyway and reset the table. So at that point when they do that, do you use Taylor to parlay him into picks or do you keep him to take pressure off of a young quarterback that you're grooming and have to pay him a ton of money? Yeah, yesterday was not a good day for Jonathan Taylor's agent. Um. And I think yesterday is a reminder, Jake, of you just – and there's no way to say this without it coming as a shot at Jonathan Taylor, but you just don't pay running backs an insane amount of money. You don't. You just flat out do not pay them the type of money that, on paper, Jonathan Taylor, if you look at the contracts for Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, whoever else has signed big running back contracts of late, you just don't pay those guys that money. And honestly, I think it – if you really – and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, Jake, but let's look at the two Jacksonville meetings this year. In one meeting, you scored zero points. The other meeting, you scored 34 points. The game, you scored zero points. Michael Pittman did not play for you. 
The game you scored 34 points, Jonathan Taylor did not play for you. Perfect way of saying it. Yep. Why was Michael Pittman my most indispensable Colt entering the season? For exactly the reasons how you've seen this year play out. And this is just how the game has evolved. It's easier for a guy by the name of Deion Jackson to come in off the bench, give you some, you know, a decent day on the ground, nothing crazy, but also help you out with 10 catches out of the backfield. It's harder for a wideout to enter the mix. Desmond Patman and Mike Strawn are not doing that right. when Michael Pittman is not on the field. I mean, hell, Paris Campbell didn't do it in week two when Michael Pittman was out. Did Paris Campbell, has he become a possession receiver? I, I really think he is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was a great effort, by the way, he had in stretching for the And, uh, and give him credit. I mean, I don't mean that as a knock on him. Right. I mean, you know, for, for reinventing, at least for a game himself. Seven uh, for 57. You know, that's... Yeah. Is that's, that Wes Welker? <laughs> right. David, what's up? Good morning to you. Good morning, guys. How you guys doing? Doing fine, thanks. Hey, since you guys talk about Jonathan Taylor and stuff, um, I think we do everything backwards in Indianapolis because we're paying a guard $20 million, but we don't want to pay a running back a little bit of money. You know what I mean? It just don't make no sense. If that's the case, let's go ahead and get rid of him now and go get Christian McCaffrey. He's on the trading block, you know? Yeah, I mean, listen. Well, if you're not going to pay Taylor, why would you trade for another one? Well, yeah, I mean, David, look, I've said all along, my concern and the way that this team is built, and and I'm not trying to poo-poo on a win. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the areas that need to be addressed for the Colts they they just the areas that the Colts have shored up where they're really where their best players are, I still think are the positions that are the least important in the NFL. I hate to say it that way. Jake, we can get more into this in the eight o'clock hour, but and I know that the quick counter to this from people will be, why did it take so long? But I do think Frank Reich deserves a lot of credit for significantly changing the game plan yesterday, realizing that his offensive line is broken, needing to help out that unit as best as possible and utilizing the up-tempo, no-huddle approach. We can get more into it with Jeff Saturday because I do want to ask him just kind of his experience with the no-huddle and up-tempo. But again, you got shut out in week two. How were you going to respond yesterday? They came out of the mini-bye week. They did something very, very differently. It clearly affected Jacksonville. I thought Ryan Kelly had a great quote after the game saying, tired offensive linemen beat tired defensive linemen. And I think that's exactly what you saw yesterday. Boy, for a defense that's been as big, strong, fast, and aggressive as Jacksonville's front four, um, you know. They, they got didn't... tired, and then when yeah. they had their one moment, Trayvon Walker roughing the passer penalty, a huge play. It, I thought it was one of those chances where he was like, man, I've been waiting for this all game long. Boom, a huge penalty on a third down. Tracy, 239-1070. Tracy, good yeah, Monday morning. Morning. Hey, uh, it was a good win yesterday. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, it was a win, but I'm just amazed that you think you sh- we should get rid of Jonathan Taylor because the way Jackson played yesterday. Did I say I that? Mean, yeah, basically. Did I say that I thought they should? What I said was. Let's turn him into some capital for some draft picks is what you said. No, what I said was. And to get a quarterback. And now you guys talked about in the past about getting rid of Quentin Nelson. We sent a bitch around here about not having any line around here years ago i'm just amazed you guys are always wanting to get rid of our all pro players okay tracy what i said was in today's national football league jonathan again i you have selective hearing 
I said Jonathan Taylor's a wonderful player, no question. Do the Colts, though, explore what they have done before, which is to take a piece that is coveted and try to parlay it into multiple other pieces because of the fact that they put themselves in position where they may have more glaring needs elsewhere. Uh, none of that is a knock on Jonathan Taylor at all, who I said is a wonderful player and a wonderful young man. But did they put themselves in position where they have more glaring needs elsewhere that they could take care of by parlaying one guy into, say, three or four? Yeah, I, I don't think we need to harp on it too much on a Monday after a win. I think we can save this sort of conversation a little bit bigger picture. Um, but simply, but that's what was illuminated yesterday in the win, was it I, not? I think yesterday what you saw, again, is what a passing offense can do for you. When you are able to offset your run game to the extent that they did, a guy like Deion Jackson is able to come in the game and fill the void of Jonathan Taylor much easier than a Desmond Patman or a Mike Strawn can do with Michael Pittman. I just think it's utilizing your investments elsewhere, I think is where you look at things Taylor-Nelson-related um, moving forward. All right, 8 o'clock hour coming up. We'll continue the Colts conversation, 317-239-1070 here. Kevin and Query on a 34-27 victory Monday for the Colts. Lindsey stays in as the back to the right of Ryan. Third and 13 now for the Colts. 23 seconds left. Colts down by a point. Three receivers to the left. Ryan throws down the near sideline. Looking for Alec Pierce. He's got it. Touchdown! Touchdown! Alec Pierce spikes it into the end zone. Touchdown! I-N-D-Y! A 32-yard grab over the shoulder snag. Alec Pierce, 32-27 Colts. That the highlight from yesterday, certainly the offensive play of the year. Alec Pierce and the game when he touched down there. Um, Jake, I was thinking to myself there, you know, third and thirteen, one more timeout for Jacksonville. You know, do you run a play to try and get like a forty five yard field goal, forty six yard field goal, make Doug Peterson burn one more timeout? But Frank Reich's aggressiveness, the belief in Matt Ryan, belief in the O line. And you know what? Pierce's catch was tremendous. Matt Ryan hung in there, took a hit in his lower body. That was a big-time throw by Ryan no in a big-time moment. And listen, like I said earlier, Kevin, uh, and good morning to you folks on a Monday, a Colts victory Monday. Uh, I said earlier, I, I will eat crow here in the fact that didn't necessarily say it outright, but insinuated that Matt Ryan perhaps was showing why Atlanta let him go in terms of his time so far in Indianapolis. But what we saw yesterday was the guy that Chris Ballard, Jim Mercer, and Frank Reich hoped for when they made the move to get him, right? When you give Matt Ryan protection, clearly uh, he still has the ability to put the football exactly where it needs to be. And he did that more than once yesterday. And on that final play, I think you made an outstanding point earlier, Kevin, when you said – dialing up that play Frank Reich reaching into his playbook on a third and 13 there late in the game when you know that a field goal wins it for you dialing up that play the Colts do not call that play with the offensive line play that they had three weeks ago two weeks ago right no no, no I, I don't think they make the call they certainly don't execute it and again Matt, Matt Pryor did get beat on the play but enough to where Matt Ryan 
could deliver that ball to Alec Pierce. A couple of notes yesterday. Obviously, a little bit of good, so a lot of good here, but a little bit of bad defensively. 42 completions. That is the most in franchise history. A lot of quarterbacks for this franchise. 42 Matt Ryan completions, the most ever in a game. Michael Pittman with 13 catches. Ironically enough, with Chuck Pagano banging the anvil yesterday, the most catches since Reggie Wayne in the Orange Glove game of 2012. Uh, Deion Jackson with 10 catches. It's the most for a Colts running back since 09. Now, defensively, they allowed over 7 yards per carry, 7.4. It's one of the biggest for the franchise. You know, a lot of big runs. They actually had some tackles for loss and runs behind the line of scrimmage, but some just gashing runs from Jacksonville yesterday. And then Trevor Lawrence, 20 of 22, 91% completion percentage. Uh, second highest in franchise history allowed. I, you know, a lot of dink and dunk, though. I was just going to say, I mean, there wasn't, there weren't really, they had a couple of third down and longs that they converted, Jacksonville, that maybe give you a little bit of, the, you'd like to have those plays back, but for the most part, kept it in check, right? I mean, it, although Jacksonville did go down, I, I guess defensively, does it concern you at all, Kevin, that, when Jacksonville needed to score there late in the game, they were able to go down and get it. Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal. I thought it was. I thought it was. I think it's your worst defensive performance of the season, right? You mean in terms of the points allowed, or just in terms of of optics? Yeah, I mean, twenty-seven points allowed again—that's seven point four yards per carry. That is a huge well, yeah. number. I mean, Travis Etienne—you know—I mean, had and, uh, his I, moments. I know we haven't talked about it in the first hour, but Brandon Faison needs to be benched. Just bent. Isaiah Rogers needs to start. What, what is for the Brandon Faison? I guess the questions that I would have after yesterday would be number one: like, what took so long to to try Dennis Kelly? Right. right? Mm-hmm. And then the other would be, why is Isaiah Rogers like? Wh- why did they continue to not just say, "Here you go, here you"? I mean, he's athletic, he's got size. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Faison's got history with Bradley. Brandon Faison does have more size than than Rogers, but I I don't understand it at all. Again, it's a secondary right now that lately has struggled to kind of get their hands on a lot of passes. I mean, yesterday, twenty of twenty two for Lawrence. Ryan Tannehill had a very similar day. I think for a secondary right now that's missing that ability to kind of find the football, um, Rodgers needs to play. That that That's a must for me moving forward. Robert wanted to talk about the receiver play yesterday. What's up, Robert? Hey, how you doing? Doing fine, um, thanks. Um, uh, also with the receiver play, I kind of think and um, I'm thinking the uh, age group might get thrown off a little bit. You know, the players, you know, you bring in a new quarterback eventually. Uh, you know, I just think uh, the group of the core is kind of, you know, all over the place. But back to the receivers, this kind of reminds me of the early 90s, really. Uh, we're, you know, we're kind of waiting to see who's going to pan out. Uh, you know, you got, you know, Reggie Langhorn and uh, <laughs> Sean Dawkins and all these guys. Uh, right now, I have more, you know, touchdown-making faith in uh, the rookie than I do in uh, – Pittman Jr. I think Pittman Jr. is a good number two. Um, you mentioned Reggie Wayne. He's tied something with Reggie Wayne. I guarantee you in that game, Reggie Wayne had at least one or two touchdowns. Uh, you know, 13 catches for 
basically a 10-yard average almost. Uh, that You know, that's, you know, you, you can get caught, look up in the yard and the catches, but uh, it's, I, I, I think we're know, nitpicking I, I a little bit there, Robert. I, I, I think we're nitpicking with Pittman. How many big third-down catches did he have to keep you in the game, keep that final drive alive? Is he one of the five best receivers in the NFL? No. He is a darn, darn good wideout. Gets zero help, um, I would say, from supporting skill group guys. Pierce is emerging, but little to no help from a lot of those other guys. He gets heavy double-team attention week in and week out. And that dude just had 13 grabs for 160-some yards? Yeah. I mean, he's a to me, I, I think he's a top 15 wideout in this league. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, listen. Does he need to find the end zone more? Sure. But I think teams are doing everything they can to try and take away Pittman, and he is he just brings an attitude that is so needed and so welcomed to that wideout group. And, you know, Pierce is a guy that makes plays down the field, and he's shown a little bit underneath, but Pittman just gives you that – that he's got, like, that dog mindset and just that swagger that I feel like is just so, so needed for the Colts. I, I think that he makes an interesting point in regards to Robert does. You know, Alec Pierce is certainly emerging, but Alec Pierce is your complimentary – in other words, Alec Pierce and the plays that he is going to make and continue to make as his career progresses in terms of dynamic behind the ball or, or behind the defense long ball touchdowns are facilitated to a great extent because of the attention you have to give to Michael Pittman Jr. Right, exactly. Pierce is one-on-one -on -one so often because they need that safety help towards Michael Pittman. Uh, speaking of Alec Pierce, by the way, that brings us to our GOAT of the Week. Who is the GOAT? That's what I'm talking about! That's why he's the MVP! That's why he's the GOAT! The GOAT! Or GOAT. <laughs> this guy sucks. Of the week. So you Listen, want to hand out the, uh, the capitalized version of GOAT? I will hand out the capitalized version of GOAT, greatest of all time, not literally, but a guy that was great yesterday. And when it came down to it, and yes, Michael Pittman a career high in terms of receptions in a game for Michael Pittman Jr., and kudos to him taking nothing away from him because probably that's what opened things up for Alec Pierce. But for a rookie on a third and 13 when you have a lot on the line, can you? somebody pointed out on Twitter, can you imagine if Matt Ryan gets picked in that situation, what we're talking about, what the narrative is? Alec Pierce made sure that didn't happen. He seals the game when it matters most. And for a guy, I, I go back to him. And you look at the guy that's coaching the wide receivers in Reggie Wayne. You know, how long did it take Reggie Wayne to get his first touchdown in the National Football League? And Alec Pierce is already becoming a guy that that you look to in that situation. Robert is right in that and the fact that you feel comfortable with him throwing him the ball in those situations. Making that play, I thought, for a rookie, looks beyond his years at that point. And... All receivers get off typically to a slow start that aren't named Randy Moss in terms of their career, but Pierce is off to now off and running, and he gets my award yesterday. Jake, how about how he has responded from the week one drop? A huge drop right. in the end zone week one. A concussion later on in that game, and yet he has earned the trust of Matt Ryan in the biggest moment of the season for this team offensively. Uh I do want to ask Alec Pierce this when we have him on this week and again, hoping to have him on either tomorrow or Wednesday. 
but he came to the line of scrimmage yesterday on that third and 13, and he said he looked over to the sideline and looked at Reggie Wayne. And Reggie Wayne just kind of put up his hands as if to say, slow down, work your release, don't overrun the route. Don't just, hey, this is a go route. I'm just going to sprint downfield like it's a 40-yard dash at the Combine inside of Lucas Oil Stadium back in February. And if you watch that play, and there was another uh, play earlier in the game. It was a third down slant, which Pierce beat press coverage beautifully. Uh, doing that as a rookie is wise beyond his year. So that is the capital go. I'm going to go lowercase goat. I thought it was the worst officiating I've seen all season long yesterday. Uh, we did warn, I think, all of us that Jerome Boger's crew was the crew that uh, had the roughing the passer penalty on Grady Jarrett against Tom Brady the week prior. I thought both teams, I thought the Colts probably got a little bit of a weaker whistle than Jacksonville, but that Jelani Woods clearly offensive pass interference on him in the end zone. And I think one thing that frustrates me with officiating Jake outside of poor calls is just when the crew looks lost. Right, or inconsistent. You know, you yeah, kind of- yeah, certainly from a consistency standpoint. But I felt there was like no rhythm. It was like, oh, yeah, um... You know, we're going to blow whistles at random times, and there's going to be these long stoppages in between plays. So I don't try not to complain too much about the officiating. I thought yesterday was pretty bad. You know, one thing I did do yesterday, um, I've done this before from time to time. Are you bleeding? I am. I have a, Should we stop the show? That can, a, that can usually be an ordeal. I'm having a dry cuticle issue over here. Uh, you mix that with the blood thinners, it's an issue. Um at one point yesterday, clearly I was, like I said, we listened to Matt Taylor and Rick Venturi. Great call right here on uh, this radio station. As I was driving back yesterday, I was not the one driving, but uh, listening to the game. And so I got curious, and in a 15-minute, in real time, 15-minute stretch, and I know this shows, people are going to say, well, what kind of time did you have on your hands? Well, I was sitting in a car, so you can guess. During a 15-minute time period, I, t- I I hit a stopwatch. I had the stopwatch on my phone. Stop and start every time there was an there was actual action taking place. And in the course of a 15 minute period, there were a minute and 22 seconds of actual playing action. So for anybody, I guess it would be easy to get out of rhythm because there's a lot you don't realize it, Kevin, until you're like sitting in a car listening to a game. There's a lot of downtime in the NFL. You know what I mean? Yeah, and again, I realize some of that is media timeouts and it's out of their control, but I just I, I thought the game lacked some flow flow yeah. from the officiating crew. We'll continue to take your calls, 317-239-1070. Sam, let's get to Eric. Eric wanted to talk Matt Ryan with us. Good morning, Eric. Morning. So, I, I mean, Matt Ryan really showed a lot of guts yesterday. I mean, hung in the pocket all game long. And, you know, his, you know, he does underthrow receivers on occasion. But, you know, when you need it the most, he, you know, he shines. So, I think, you know, right now we're, you know, I think he's finding a little groove. And I think the hurry up was a good, good, uh, you know, uh, game plan adjustment that the uh, Colts did. And, you know, he's uh, – you know, I think he's going to be the guy for the rest of the year. And, you know, they just got to protect him and give him that time. Appreciate it, Eric. Um, Jake, I, you know, when the trade happened for Matt Ryan, I think 
one of the the biggest pros in making that move was when you got to the fourth quarter of games this season, you would have confidence in this number two that you lacked in last year's number two. And I think one of the best aspects to yesterday's win for the Colts, you know, I saw a lot of people mentioning this is like the third or fourth game-winning drive of the season, or I guess a game-tying drive in week one for Matt Ryan. But you know what? The Colts needed that drive yesterday, not because it was Matt Ryan making mistakes early in the game that put them in that situation. That is what has occurred early in the season. Ryan has made these critical, potentially fatal mistakes that you're like, what in the world is going on with fumbles and interceptions and just massive turnovers? You didn't have that yesterday. You needed to rely on that passing offense. And again, I was a huge skeptic of... Could that unit do the heavy lifting? The rushing offense we've seen, even this year, the run defense, the pass defense, both areas have stepped up. Special teams have stepped up when you've needed it. Yesterday, it was the group that I think I certainly had the most concern about entering the season doing the heavy lifting. And that is, I think, where you exit yesterday and think to yourself, man, for once this year, the Colts won a football game and they weren't gifted 13 different things to help them win. I feel like there is just a belief of like, okay, that was a positive step forward. Now it's, can you repeat it? Can you build leads? Can you do it away from home? There's certainly more steps in the ladder, but I thought yesterday was really the first true step forward in a 60-minute performance, particularly on offense that I've seen all year. I I thought my one concern is the wrong word, Kevin. And I, I listen, I realize it. Maybe these are conversations I have at a later time, but – I, I thought Matt Ryan, again, he – yesterday, Matt Ryan, that's the player that they went out and traded for. And kudos to him for that. And, and I line, would argue that's the support they promised him. Correct. That they, pass they, protection they finally, is what they promised him. If you're, if you're Matt Ryan, you are saying to yourself, see? About damn time. Th- those of you that wrote me off, I, I'm telling you, like, now you see what happens when you give me protection and I have some weapons. And And – Kudos on that. And Mia Copa on those of us that were like, look, this just didn't going to work. I, again, it, it was five weeks, six weeks in. Now, they got to sustain this. The problem that I have, Kevin, or the, the, the concern is probably the better word. And this is maybe for another time. But the concern I have is, great. So now that they've got things rolling with Matt Ryan for a game, it, but if they're able – if this is who they are moving forward – wonderful for a year maybe two and then what do you do yeah i think that's bigger picture stuff jake i i i, I, I get I, it like i, I said harp on that today like i said maybe for another time but yeah. that was my concern yesterday i mean the two things that jumped out at me yesterday aside from a colt's win were the fashion in which they were winning unfortunately are gonna have to to lead to some resets and to be fair, they could have gone sixteen and one this season, and you would still say that. Like we exit watching Bills Chiefs yesterday, and what do we say? Man, how great is that going to be? Watch that duo for the next five to ten years. Right. No one is saying that today about that no huddle and that passing off. You know, and that's just the reality of where you're at right now, quarterback wise. Uh, John wanted to talk wideouts with us. John, good morning. Hey, Jake, if that's what you got out of yesterday, bro, I feel sorry for you because every team in the league has something to worry about in the future. If after a win you're worried about the future of a team 
not the season, I don't know. I feel sorry for you, but um, at what point are we going to start maybe thinking Ballard was right about the receivers? The past two games, really all year, they, they've showed that, yeah, they were a little immature, but they're starting to come on. And I'm even Michael yesterday, a couple of the passes that he dropped, I, I see the potential that the coaches see in him, and I think eventually he's going to come out of it. But Alec, it just I think he's going to be a top receiver, and I think it's going to be sooner than later. Um, and then one more thing. Yesterday, it's almost back to luck days. When we got the ball at the end, I had no doubt that Matt was going to take us all the way down and score in some way, whether that be a field goal or a touchdown. And I haven't felt that way for, well, since luck was the QB. Appreciate it, John. A lot of first-name bases there with John. That's and, right. And some of the Coles. Um, to the receiver point, um, certainly, I, I was a huge, huge skeptic and critic of the group. Uh, where I would argue is look back on the first two games of the season and banking on early instant production from this group was going to be costly and was costly because that position group in particular was a huge reason why you missed out on divisional wins in Houston and in Jacksonville. And I just think those games are too precious. Those games are too important. The league in general, every week is such a golden opportunity. And for a team that struggled out of the gate, I felt like banking on that early, early success was too risky at that position. Um, and I thought that was a huge reason why you did lose those first two games. So I will still stand by the if you went out and got another veteran to support, whereas if Alec Pierce has the early struggle or you have an injury like you did early on, you're not putting all of it on Paris Campbell's shoulders, that could have alleviated um, some of those early by the season way, struggles. I have a long history of – voicing something that people tell me I'm crazy and then like a year later they come back and go you know what you were actually right so I'll just add John to that hopper like a year preemptively <laughs> for what it's worth I I get it he's right I mean a, a win is a win I totally get it SEC ego that you I, I, brought back right. from I totally from get weekend. it a win is a win all I'm saying is if there was something that you look at you look at it and go this is wonderful but you know they're gonna have for a a franchise that talks about long-term sustainability, they are unfortunately in a position where they're going to have to reset probably into, and they have wonderful offensive talent in, in Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor, for that matter. I do think Taylor is somebody that we saw yesterday and nothing against him at all, but in the area where they're going to have to shore up some things, he possibly could be parlayed from one guy into three or four. And Jake, I will, I agree with you that sustained success is going to be is an issue right now for this franchise. But I do think in the immediate 24-hour aftermath of a win, that conversation can be, can be put on hold. Which is what I said at the beginning of it. But I'm just saying that was what, as I was watching it, that was the one thing that I was thinking about. He's Jake Quarry. I'm Kevin Bowen. Sam Fritz filling in, filling in today for Mark Dykedon. Is that all week, Sam? Yes, it is. Sorry about that. I didn't have my microphone Sam ready. basking in his Phillies glory. He's worried yes. about who's going to open up game one with the Phillies and Padres and the NLCS. Tonight, it'll be game five. That'll be Yankees and Guardians from Yankee Stadium as Garrett Cole pitches very well last night to keep uh, the Yankees season alive. It'll be winner take all, and that will be a trip to Houston for game five of the AL, or excuse me, for game one of the ALCS 
on Wednesday. Jeff Saturday is going to join us in about an hour. We'll continue to take your calls, 317-239-1070. Let's do a morning check down. So we'll begin with the NFL. As we talked about Colts yesterday, big winners 34-27 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Colts now 3-2-1. and one. They have the AFC South right in kind of the driver's seat here, at least for now, right, Kevin? And it was because of some players that continue to emerge within the horseshoe. Tomorrow at 9.30, Alec Pierce will be joining us here on Kevin Inquiry. And speaking of Alec Pierce, here was Matt Ryan yesterday on the let's go win the football game moment. His pass to the rookie wideout. Frank kind of went into the headset and he said, hey, trust what you see. You can go this or you can go that. And um, I just trusted Alec. Um, he's so good on, on those kind of routes. And I think a lot of times in, in those situations, throwing the ball past the sticks, being aggressive, you know, taking a shot is, is huge. You can't, you can't play scared in those situations. And, and uh, I thought it was you know, a great call. Great route, and uh, just tried to give him a chance and a really good play by him. So basically there at the line of scrimmage, if Jacksonville would have been playing off of Alec Pierce, they would have um, ran a slant there, and when they showed press, that was when they said, all right, let's tap into Alec Pierce's greatest strength, and that's the go ball down the sideline, a tremendous throw under pressure, and that catch as the Colts elect not to settle for a long-distance field goal there. They go win the game 34-27. By the way, I love that Matt Ryan used the word trust when talking about a rookie wide receiver. How big is that, right? Pretty rare. Pretty rare. And you Uh, would think the 15-year vet would have some high expectations in that area. Other winners yesterday in the NFL, by the way, Atlanta over San Francisco, New England over Cleveland, the Jets. How about the Jets, man? Break up the New York Jets. Over the Packers, Minnesota over Miami, Cincinnati over New Orleans, the Giants over the Ravens. How about the Steelers? Steelers over the Bucs 2018 yesterday. Uh, I don't even know who was quarterbacking for Pittsburgh. Is it uh, Kenny Pickett? Pickett got concussed. Trubisky went in. The thing that jumped out at me yesterday, which defies what we were talking about earlier with the running back position for the Colts, is the number of quarterbacks yesterday that won in sub 200 yard passing games. That's rare in the NFL in 2022. Rams, Seahawks, Bills, and Eagles also winners. That Bills Chiefs game, did you watch? Yes. Did they clinch the number one seed in the AFC yesterday? Five and one now, man. I mean, that was a big win. I, if I'm a Buffalo fan, I'm not thrilled about Josh Allen playing hurdles, but other than that. He's <laughs> an incredible, incredible footballer. He's the best player in the league right now. He's pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. All right, college football from this past weekend. Purdue wins a shootout over Nebraska at Ross 8. Aiden O'Connell making a play with his legs late in that one. Um, Purdue wins 43-37. So now it's a trip to Camp Randall. They've lost 15 straight there. At Wisconsin this Saturday, bye week, and then the month of November, Iowa at Illinois, Northwestern at Indiana. Jake, that game in Champaign, that looks like it's going to be for a trip to Lucas Oil Stadium for the Big Ten title. How about Illinois' only loss on the year? LEO. Indiana, man. That was one that Indiana had to get, right? Against Maryland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean they're, they're not, not, not going to hit their over and wins. Four and a half. You're right. Because who? They got I, Rutgers this weekend. I think they're a three-point dog in that. Ah, they uh, could beat Rutgers and and then the bucket game is always a coin flip, right? 
I'm like, can you imagine Purdue playing for a Big Ten West crown and IU beats them? No chance. God, Charlie Jones for Purdue is so good. And that Mockaby kid, you can see the track background when he runs. He's a long strider. Um, how bad was that Notre Dame loss? You said it. I, I'm, I'm still worried about Clemson at Notre Dame. Uh, you're just, you're just doing that. So when it's a 40 point win, then you can just really, really stick the knife in me. I mean, do you really think it'll be that imbalanced? I mean, I know 40. You're being exact. You're exaggerating, but. They just looked so bad. Drew Pine just looked like you should be starting for Holy Cross. <laughs> I'm frustrated. Pacers, they open up their season wow. on Wednesday. It'll be the Wizards. Does uh, Holy Cross have football? I, you know, I said that, and I thought to myself, probably not. Uh, 6.30, our coverage will begin. Hoping to have Rick Carlisle on the show tomorrow. Again, it's Wizards, Spurs, and Pistons. The Spurs and Pistons, it's a back-to-back Friday, Saturday. All home games this week. Um, so what's that? Johnny Davis Wednesday night, Jay Nivey Saturday. Holy Cross, by the way, is first in the Patriot League, just so you know. So mock them if you'd like. Oh, I was thinking the Holy Cross and isn't there isn't that where Rudy went? Oh, I'm talking about the Holy Cross out east. You're yeah, they always the Holy... have a decent basketball team. Purple. They're they're purple colors. They've right? won a national title, Kevin. Holy Cross in basketball, right? Back in like the forties. Continue the Colts conversation. 317-239-1070 at KBO and 1070 on Twitter at Jake Query on Twitter. It's a victory Monday here. Jeff Saturday joins us in an hour. Tonight on Monday Night Football, it'll be uh, Denver and the L.A. Chargers. Curious to see how Russell Wilson looks. Done. That's how he looks. Injection in that shoulder, right, this past week? I just don't think. Look, Denver's put themselves in a real bad spot, right? Because Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are two guys to me that at this point, they're just there seems to be an arrogance about them that swirls and just kind of brings people down. God, Green Bay. Are they the most disappointing team of the season? Yes. Right? I mean, they've got to be. They lose by 17 to the Jets yesterday in Lambeau. The Vikings at 5-1 and one right now. The definite leader in that NFC North. Um, let's continue the conversation with Jeff. Jeff, I think want to talk about one of the more unsung heroes yesterday, and that was one Dion Jackson. Good morning, Jeff. Yeah, good morning. How are you guys? Doing great. Thanks for calling. Good. Um, yeah, I, a couple of years ago, well, when Dion Jackson came in last year, I thought a preseason game, he caught a couple of passes and he ran like, I mean, like a bull. I mean, the guy is really strong and got good hands and you know, I think with Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman, I mean, we got a lot of young talent, even on defense we do, but more on offense. But Matt Ryan, I have to apologize to him because like most of the media in Indianapolis, I mean, I can't believe, I, I only listen to you guys, but I mean, JMB, Dockage, and you guys to an extent, I mean, 
I don't know. It's easy to get pessimistic and everything, but sometimes it's just long-term. I'm not worried about long-term. Let's just enjoy the present and not worry about, I mean, I think Sam Ellinger can be a franchise quarterback. I really do. And how many guys, whether Matt Ryan or any of the other top quarterbacks, started for a major university four years in a row, kept him in the top 25 in the country, and Sam Ellinger is not some patsy that, you know, second, third-team quarterback, I don't think. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. I thought the Ellinger elevation to second string was curious. Yeah, there's a there's more there that I'd like to get into later in the week, if you don't mind. Yeah, there's um there's some smoke behind that. I don't think that was Frank Reich sitting down in an offensive meeting okay. on Monday saying, "Hey, everybody, uh, let's promote Sam Ellinger and so, bench Nick Foles." To tease that conversation before we get, because I, I I get it. I mean, that's probably also for later in the week. But tell me this: Do you believe that has more to do with Sam Ellinger or Nick Foles? I think it has more to do with the owner. The that owner's love for Ellinger. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I want to focus on Deion Jackson with that call. Jake, I had a lot of people yesterday saying, is this what Naeem Hines' role was supposed to be? Deion Jackson, 10 catches yesterday on 10 targets for 79 yards. Um, I thought something that Frank Reich did brilliantly yesterday, and again, kudos to Matt Ryan for you know implementing the game plan. They were not running the ball very effectively again. They didn't run it. I guess they ran it, you know, decent last Thursday night, but the run game has been an issue this season. But I think they looked at the quick tempo and thought, you can pretty much run the football with a little bit of a quick, shorter passing game, and I think you saw that. You mentioned Paris Campbell earlier as like a possession receiver. That's what he was yesterday. Um, Deion Jackson, I think, was that. Um, you know, when Hines gets back – I. I would like to think that, again, he can just slide. Like, what you did with Jackson yesterday, that can be Hines because Hines is more dynamic than Jackson from an athleticism standpoint. But it is a bit head-scratching to me that you see the role for Jackson yesterday and you think, why was that not for Hines early in the season? You know, here's what I love about Jackson. I like any guy that when their numbers call like that that gets kind of buried. I'm not going to say he was buried. He was a special teamer though. But when his number was called, Kevin, he answered the bell tenfold, right? Because he, you can use him in various Now, the question that that you have to ask yourself is, you know, it, can he do that week in and week out at that level? Yeah, is he Jonathan Williams from a few years back? Correct. But that's a position that does seem to be fairly fungible. You just need guys that are able to – and he does bring different looks a little bit, right? And, you know, he uh, was an undrafted free agent out of Duke a few years ago. Did catch the ball out of the backfield at a pretty high level there. You know, he played for David Cutcliffe there, Jake, and I think that's relevant because uh, both Peyton and Eli Manning and the Manning family in general hold David Cutcliffe in extremely high regard. Um was the OC at Tennessee for Peyton and then coached Eli at Ole Miss. And, you know, Cutcliffe, I think, implements a very NFL system, and I think that was attractive to the Colts. And they've always liked Deion Jackson. I've worried a little bit about his ball security. He struggled with that in training camp. Um, but clearly they've always 
thought he could do something like this in a pinch. And, you know, the Hines-Taylor thing, you know, on Friday, Jake, you know, I thought Taylor would play. I mean, Taylor practiced Thursday and Friday. And typically, if you only miss one game and you practice on a Thursday and Friday, you play. Um, Hines, I, I, was it a setback in the concussion protocol? I mean, he wasn't. Well, he wasn't cleared by the independent, right? It would have to have been that final clearance. It was. If I, as I understand it with Naeem Hines, the, for those that are unfamiliar, Kevin, it's my understanding, correct, that, that the way they do it is you go through a, a series of steps, and then at the last, kind of your last clearance, you go to an independent, and by independent I mean somebody that doesn't work for the, regardless of team, Cardinals, Packers, Cowboys, Colts. Away from the franchise, every team then has to send their player to an independent, like neurologist or analyst that then has the final say. And that person did not clear Naeem Hines. Isn't that what took place? Yeah, and he had a red jersey on Thursday at practice. He practiced though on Friday. And that means red jersey means no contact. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, he practiced Friday and then did not get that final step. There's a five step process with the concussion protocol, and did not. Um, get clearance from that. I think when you do have Hines back and obviously Taylor, it's just difficult to involve kind of a third running back. That is something the Colts have not done really at all in the Frank Reich era. And it's understandable. I mean, when you have a, a guy like Jonathan Taylor, even in those early Reich years, Marlon Mack was such a lead back for you. I, I just didn't really see how you would involve that. But I'm very curious to see does Hines just plug into the Deion Jackson role that we saw yesterday? How much of the Deion Jackson role yesterday was simply the Colts going up tempo and throwing it 58 times? And if right. they did that, would Hines have had 10 catches? I'd like to think so. I would think so, right? But I agree with the call there that the thing about Deion Jackson is, you know, he does he does run hard, man. You know what I mean? Like, And I'm not saying Naeem Hines doesn't, but he just – his motor seems to be instant turn on and go, right? He's like one of those little wine toys. Let it go. The Energizer Bunny? Yeah, that's that's not – I like the Energizer Bunny. He's cool, right? Now, we've got a fantasy matchup, you and I, and I need Mike Williams not to go off tonight. Have you checked that? I have two players playing tonight. You and I are uh, in our fantasy league, and I realize no one cares about fantasy leagues, but uh, we are head-to-head, right? And I think I'm – but I'm like 40 points down, right? Is it that much? Yeah. Let's see here. But I, I have two going tonight. And Are you done for the for the oh, week? Oh, yeah, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Now, what about our one fella in our listener league that, that's been touting to everybody how he's going to dominate the league? Yeah, did he? I hope he had an awful week. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> uh, he is – the name of his team Eddie. is – Eddie, yep. So, Eddie's team, let's see – who was he? I can't get – these things get very convoluted. One other injury note uh, I'll mention as Jake looks that up. Um, Shaquille Leonard did indeed need surgery for his broken nose. Um, that was announced late last week. Now, again, no Quiddy Pay or Shaq Leonard on injured reserve. Both missed the game. Both were ruled out Friday. But the fact that the Colts have not put either on injured reserve is an indicator that they believe these guys will return within a four-week window. So Leonard missed the Denver game, now has missed this game. Um, You would think his absence would not be much, much longer, granted, 
these are three different injuries. Um, but you would think, like they did with Ashton Doolin, if he was going to miss more than four games, uh, they'd put him on injured reserve. And same thing with Quiddy Pay. And I, I don't know how much to put into it, but I don't know. Did they really miss Quiddy Pay yesterday with the run defense? By the way, in our fantasy league, Eddie, who has been dominating everybody, trailing right now Mark Dykin's team. However, Eddie, Eddie is down four and has Austin Eckler heading into tonight. Oh, well, <laughs> that'll be over by the first quarter. So, uh, in terms of our matchup, Kevin, you are done for the week. Your your roster is uh, in the barn. I have Mike Williams tonight as well as Brandon McManus. And you're down how many? Uh, I am down to you currently 25 points. Mike Williams, you know, he can have eight for 140 he, and two touchdowns. The thing about Mike Williams, though, he is very feast or famine with their passing game. He is not like – like Pittman, for example, for the Colts, you pretty much know that you're getting at least eight catches and 70 yards per game. And then, uh, you know, the, the the game yesterday that's massive, but he very rarely has a, you know, two for 10 game. Mike Williams has a lot of two for 10 games. Marcellus, you wanted to chat about Deion Jackson? Yeah, how you doing, fellas? Doing good. How are you? All right. All right. Can we say that DNL was a goat yesterday? I, I think he would <laughs> yeah, fall into I that category. So. And I love, Marcellus, I love that that shows that you listen to our program. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, look, uh, you guys were talking about Naeem Hines and uh, uh, Deion Jackson. Would, would Naeem have done this? I would just say this. Um, when, when, when Taylor is in the game, let me put it like this: When you are when you when you have a deficit deficit in something, it forces you to think a different way. And we were missing both our running backs yesterday, and we had two backups. It forced Frank Wright to finally, finally get away from feeding Taylor because Taylor wasn't there. It finally forced Frank Wright to go uh, quick snap, uh, huddle, you know, quick quick huddle offense you know no huddle offense you know it forced frank wright to think differently and you know and not have the jonathan taylor tunnel vision that we've been seeing for the last since the beginning of the season they feed him too much and they depend on him too much and that's all they see is him and now without him being there it forced them to do something different yesterday i i do believe that if taylor was there yesterday and you had Deion Jackson, we'd have the same thing because they feed Taylor. They, they wouldn't even see Deion Jackson. They were forced to see Deion Jackson yesterday. See, they were I, forced I, to do that. And it, and it forced them to do something different, which result in, which came, which came gave us a different result. We got 34 points yesterday. And it's like, okay. Now, when Taylor comes back, guess what's going to happen? We're going to go back to feeding Taylor all the time. Nobody but Taylor. And Naeem's going to be on the sideline when he's better. And it's going to go back to the same thing. I'm just... Marcellus, thank you for the call. We're kind of up against it here. Um, that's something I want to talk to Jeff Saturday about here in a little over half hour of, you know, why don't teams just implement no huddle week in and week out? You know, w- what are the cons of it? You know, obviously if you you know miss out on some early drives or you're putting your defense in a bad position, does that weigh on it? Um, I think that's something to ask. But I do think from the sound of it, the no-huddle approach was not something that they just implemented on Friday or Saturday when they found out Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines weren't going to play. This is something that they realized when they got shut out by Jacksonville in Week 2. 
basically they admitted to themselves, Jake, walking into this game, we can't block them normally. Correct. And when you've got a defensive front four like Jacksonville that's that's young, nasty, and aggressive, yeah. then you got to keep them on their toes at all times and you've not let do something them settle in, right? Yeah, and I thought it was a great approach. We can't block them, which is a tough reality to admit, but kudos to them for admitting it. And they basically said, how can we offset that? How can we counter that? So I'd like to think that, again, Taylor and Hines practiced Thursday and Friday. Hines practiced all week. I'd like to think they would have just simply plugged in to what we saw from Deion Jackson. Now, to Marcellus's point, when you have the presence of Taylor, you're naturally going to give the ball to him a little bit more. Um, but I'm very curious to see how the offense will evolve from here. All right, we're up against it. We're going to take a break here on Kevin and Quarry. It is a chilly start to this Monday morning in Indianapolis, but a nice day here in the Circle City. Colts win 34-27. It was a perfect day just with the roof open, like that's three roofs open to start the year. Seriously. And and I mean it is it is perfect how like a win on a Colts game like that just kind of sets the tone for the week for people. You know what I mean? Great fall weekend. Yep. And yeah, I, I as I've been saying all day long, this is the best Colts fans should have felt about a win all year. Um your biggest question mark carried you to victory. Your biggest issues this season didn't show up. Um, again, and, and kind of rear their ugly head, and that would be a lack of pass protection, and that would be turnovers from the quarterback position. 58 pass attempts and no sacks. And Matt, Matt Ryan was only hit <laughs> six times. For those that maybe those numbers like don't necessarily register, that is a really small amount. For example, the Colts hit Trevor Lawrence four times. They had four sacks on him. And 22 pass attempts. Matt Ryan threw it 58 times. And after getting hit 11 times and sacked five in that week two matchup, no sacks, six hits allowed. I assume, Jake, you, you, you're sticking with Dennis Kelly and you're starting Dennis Kelly, right? On what, Sunday in Nashville? What took so long? I mean, do you think, and I don't know, I, maybe. Maybe that is another one of those things where ultimately water finds its level. But do you think at any point... Well, I think Dennis Kelly asked the same question you were asking last right. week on Twitter. And so do you think at any point that Ballard or Reich asked that? Of like, man, why didn't we do this earlier? I, I think that question has to be asked. Now, again, Dennis Kelly missed multiple weeks. I'd say three, maybe even four during training camp with a knee injury. But he was back and healthy at the start of the season. Um you know, when they went to the two-tackle approach on Thursday night football with Matt Pryor and Bernard Ryman, it's like, God, you don't even have one tackle out of that combination. That's where I felt like if you're going short-term, which obviously when you're coaching the game, you are going sh- short-term. You're doing everything you can to try and win that coming Sunday. I didn't understand putting Pryor at tackle and then even Ryman at tackle from the standpoint of you have a guy that has over 50 career starts in Kelly. You know, Ryman, if you're going to commit to Ryman, you've got to commit to him for like a month. Right. You've got to let him grow. Um, and just to reiterate, yesterday the plan was start Ryman, they'd go to Kelly a few series in, and then Chris Strauser, their O-line coach, would decide from there 
who to go with. It's not like Ryman allowed a sack, but I did feel like in general the pocket just kind of collapsed pretty quickly with him. Now, Dennis Kelly will see his former team on Sunday. Uh, I said it before, so I will say it again. I'll eat crow on this one with Matt Ryan. Clearly those like me who started to wonder if we were seeing the reason that Atlanta let Ryan walk. We saw yesterday that when you protect him and give him the weapons around him, that he still has some juice left in the tank. Now, I don't know how much longer that juice is going to fuel you, but for now, pretty darn good. When you support him, he can support you? Correct. Is that right? That's a fair way of saying it. I felt like the Colts. would carry it, probably. With the tempo, with the no huddle. Again, nine drives yesterday, eight of them reached Jacksonville territory. Easily the most consistent day they've moved the football all season long. Jeff Saturday is going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll uh, read some of our fan tweets of the day from yesterday's game. We'll continue to take your calls. 9 o'clock hour, Kevin and Corey. He stays in as the back to the right of Ryan. Third and 13 now for the Colts. 23 seconds left. Colts down by a point. Three receivers to the left. Ryan throws down the near sideline looking for Alec Pierce. He's got it. Touchdown! Touchdown! Alec Pierce spikes it into the end zone. Touchdown! I-N-D-Y! A 32-yard grab over the shoulder snag. Alec Pierce, 32-27 Colts. The call, the throw, the catch. Certainly one to remember. For Colts fans, just say, I thought the crowd was outstanding. From an energy standpoint, loud standpoint yesterday, I felt like they had a little bit of hostility with how this season has unfolded so far, and they brought it, and the Colts delivered for them, especially in that critical moment. Jake, that's the aggressiveness of Frank Reich that I think players love. In that moment, a lot, a lot of coaches would have ran the football. Philip Lindsay up the gut for minus totally. two yards, but yet Frank Reich had belief in his quarterback, belief in his offensive line, and belief in Alec Pierce. And Matt Ryan had belief in Alec Pierce to make that decision. And I know someone tweeted us earlier, Jake, like what happens if that ball gets intercepted? I think that's a pretty high percentage throw for it either to be completed or honestly it's incomplete like that that's got to be a hell of a play by the db to pick that ball off and i think pierce has earned the right that you throw it up there and honestly jake based off how early parts of the game went i was when the ball was in the air i was expecting a flag the i think the biggest win for the colts yesterday aside from the obvious was after the game when matt ryan said when Frank called that, and I heard it in my helmet, I'm paraphrasing here, I trusted Alec could make that play. A guy that is six games into his National Football League career, and you already see the trust and the comfort that Matt Ryan had in Michael Pittman. I think part of why Pittman is important and Alec Pierce is important even for a veteran quarterback like Matt Ryan, who has, you know, yesterday surpassed Dan Marino on the all-time passing record in terms of yardage, 
and is clearly in the twilight of his career. But even still, for a veteran quarterback like that, everything is about rhythm. It's like I've always said. I know it's a bad analogy, but I've always said. It's just like when you're playing horse with your friends. And what I always say, if the shot's not dropping for you, you get yourself to the free throw line. And you take a couple of free throws to get yourself back in rhythm. It's all about rhythm. And in the case of Matt Ryan, the significance of a Michael Pittman Jr. is that it's not about always getting the home run pass. It's about having a receiver, a big target, that in rhythm and quick drops and throw is going to be right there for the quick 8-10 to yard boom, 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 boom play. That gets a quarterback in rhythm where then they can say, okay, now, like, let's go. And when he says, okay, now let's go because I'm in rhythm and I feel comfortable, then boom. Now I've got a guy in Alec Pierce that I know I've just got to get it in the vicinity. Now he put a ball, I mean, Matt Ryan put up through a perfect ball. While getting hit. You know, but but Alec Pierce is, is emerging himself as a guy that he's going to win that battle. We just have to keep defenses honest on when we're actually going to go to it. You know, it's interesting, Jake. And again, we'll have Alec Pierce on tomorrow at 930. Um, you know, a ton of friends of mine, you know, they're asking, hey, you know, fantasy drafts are coming up. Well, you know, what are your thoughts on Alec Pierce? The thing that I always thought Pierce would be able to give you, n- not to this quantity so far, but I thought the play we saw yesterday, I felt like would be there for him. Now, I thought you would get maybe one every other game. Now he's starting to do it every single game. And yesterday, and this seems to become the norm, Jake, if you just throw the ball in the vicinity, DBs are panicking now. Right. And he's drawing flags. And those are huge flags. Those are spot flags. I mean, those are big, big plays that Pierce has given you, not just those catches. So I guess that's where his kind of greatest strength as a rookie is such a big play moment for you. His greatest strength, you know, Reggie Wayne, great possession receiver, Jake. Well, f- to really feel Reggie Wayne's impact, you needed, you know, seven, eight catches for him throughout a game. Alec Pierce, you just need one or two, and yet he can change the game in such, such a quick moment. Listen, we've got to give a tip of the cap as well to Paris Campbell because he has been um, much maligned. He has been mocked. I, I, I can't say for you, Kevin, but, you know, I have – I don't know that I've, you would say that I've ever shredded Paris Campbell, but certainly had almost written him off. Certainly as a deep ball receiver, I had written him off. And, you know, is he now your possession or your two or three guy? I, again, one game does not a season make, but you have to be encouraged by what you saw yesterday. They just had a balanced offense, and kudos to Paris Campbell for being a part of that. Yes, yeah, seven catches for him yesterday. Um, he played every single offensive snap. He actually – Played more than Michael Pittman. 57 yards for Campbell. And a great effort on the touchdown. Really good effort. Great effort. The athleticism involved in that is pretty amazing. Uh, Let's head back to the phone lines. Chris wanted to talk about Matt Ryan getting some blocking. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, great win. Uh, That's what happens when uh, Matt Ryan gets protection. And my question is, why don't we go down and we get that in the red zone, go with either a two-tight end set or, or maybe all three tight ends and just chuck it up? What do you think? Well, they certainly chucked it up to Jelani Woods. Um, yeah, Mo Alley-Cox, Jake, I, I believe you started him in fantasy. 
And I did. The big goose egg for him. So you went back to Mo Alley Cox? Well, here's the problem. With Mo Alley Cox, I had put Mo Alley Cox on waivers to try to get another player, and I did not. That player was selected in waiver before Mo Alley Cox. Uh, excuse me. The player that I that I was trying to get was taken by someone else. So Mo Alley Cox stayed on my roster, which was an uncomfortable conversation I had to have with him, but I did. Um, and then my primary tight end was on bye yesterday. So I'm like, oh boy, I, I had not made a move to get another tight end because that was my one week of biting the bullet and starting Wiley Cox and big goose egg for him. I do think to But I had Hawkinson as my primary tight end and he was on bye. I, I do think to Chris's point, um what Jelani Woods is starting to put on film, what Pierce is starting to put on film, Allie Cox, I frankly I just don't think is you, you can put in that group yet. Um you're still waiting for it from Pittman, but there's just too many big pass-catching targets for the defense to double-team everybody. And at some point, you're just going to throw it up Correct. to these guys, and again, they're going to draw penalties. They're going to draw flags. I mean, Woods certainly got away with one yesterday in the end zone, but just that physicality, I think it's just tough to deal with. And when you get into that part of the field, I do think it's something you can tap into even more. I mean, I, listen – you have to be happy with – give Chris Ballard credit here. They've got a couple of players that have really shown themselves here that that are guys that he went out and found in the draft. I mean, Pierce obviously, you know, sliding back to make that pick. Jelani Woods has played well. Probably – would you agree that Jelani Woods at this point, Kevin, has exceeded what you expected of him, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Jelani Woods right now is playing at the level that we anticipated out of Moali or hoped for Moali Cox, right? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And Kylan Granson continues to give you something on those crossers and – a little bit of post-catch. I know he had a big fumble. You know one area that the Colts are really good at? Recovering their own fumbles. The beats the alternative, <laughs> right? Um, I think at one point yesterday, was Ryan Kelly the one who pounced on the Kylan Granson fumble? I think it was. The Colts have fumbled 17 times this year and have recovered 13 of them. <laughs> we lead the league in... Recovering our own fumbles. Very good fumble luck for the Colts. Fair. That was a big hit Kiki Kuti took yesterday. Hey, was that a fumble? He got lit up on that punt return. And he left her, right? Yeah, but he walked off. But, yes, concussion out. Bobby O'Karake had a hand injury, played through that. I think he was your leading tackler yesterday. Him and Zaire Franklin. And EJ Speed, a huge fourth down stop. Yeah, he was big. On the Trevor Lawrence option. Huge fourth down stop there. He was big. Now, college football-wise, by the way, how about – I want to give him a little bit of love because things are starting to open up a little bit. I know that that Syracuse game is one they'd like to have back. But how about Boiler Up, right? Jake, they are just – they have so many guys that they can turn to offensively. The fact that they found Mockaby here, he's been huge for them. With the injuries at running back, we saw Payne Durham a couple weeks back. And Charlie Jones, I mean, you talk about the transfer portal and how big that was. And Tyrone Tracy as well, but certainly Charlie Jones. Him and Aiden O'Connell, I know their relationship dates back to high school. They have such a connection. Someone tweeted at me over the weekend. I thought this was interesting. If it was 1995, where would Aiden O'Connell be drafted? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, he he's... 
he's played his way strangely into that conversation, is he not? Oh, he's going to have but a career. It's just he, a, he'll have a career in the NFL. You think so? It's just such a deep quarterback year. Right. I'm not acting like he's going to be a you know one of the first five or six QBs taken, but um, I mean, if, did you see who Carolina's quarterbacks were yesterday? Yeah. How about that? Jacob Eason got in for five plays, but he did throw a pick, right? P.J. Walker and Jacob Eason. It's the Colts. Literally, I thought I was watching the Colts in Cincinnati in preseason game number four, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, speaking of quarterback news, Jack Tuttle announcing that he will transfer from Indiana at the end of the year. God, I forgot about Tuttle. That, so that, so he'll be at school number three, right? So him and Bazelik, right? They were in the offseason competition, and then, yeah, Utah and... Michael Penix throwing for 460 yards for Washington over the weekend. Has he's, he put himself into the NFL conversation? He's put up some huge numbers. He has, this year. man. Huge. The Indiana at Rutgers coming up Saturday at noon. Purdue and Wisconsin. That is a 3 30 kick from Camp Randall. All right, let's head now to the Payless Liquors hotline. And uh, the Pacers will open up their season on Wednesday night. That'll be against the Wizards over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It's kind of a, a unique start of the year in that. Uh, you will play your first three games all at home. It'll be the Wizards Wednesday, the Spurs Friday, and the Pistons Saturday in a really cool giveaway that they will be doing around town today. And to talk more about that, Danny Lopez, the VP of External Affairs and Corporate Communications, is with us now. Danny, fill us in on how Pacers fans can get involved in the action they will be loving to hear about today. What's happening, guys? How are Doing great. How are you? Uh, yeah, it's, it, I'm great. I'm, I'm just impressed you guys got my title right this time. So that's good. <laughs> well, that's good it took me about six minutes to get it out, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun today. So, obviously, opening week, you know, the start of basketball season in, in Indiana is always a special time, so we're really excited. I'm actually standing in Gamebridge Fieldhouse right now watching the load-in for Carrie Underwood tonight. we got Lizzo tomorrow, but then on Wednesday we start the basketball season, and it is uh, it is going to be a lot of fun. So we are going to – I can't give away too much about this promotion today, but we are going to be around town, central Indiana, participating Kroger's. The players are going to be out. We're going to be giving away $25,000 worth of gift cards, gas, groceries, um, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. We'll be trickling out the information on social media throughout the day, uh, but in order to know the locations – so it's all happening around 5 o'clock, and in order to know the locations – you got to download the Pacers app, and then we're going to drop that information after 4 o'clock on the Pacers app so you'll know where to go. Okay, so how many different locations will there be, or is it just one, and you've got to have the app to know that one? There will be four locations around town. Gotcha. Four locations around town, yeah. So and, the and so app is our only app. way to find out. The app is the way to find out. Okay. And, you know, you're going to need the app anyway when you come to house because you know digital now, and so the tickets are all on your app, but we – we're trying to push people to that and make sure that uh, that you get it so you know how to pick up that gas and the groceries and visit with the players. They'll be signing autographs, taking pictures. It's going to be a lot of Looks like I know what I'm doing at 5 o'clock today. Now, Danny, the other thing, too, is with the Pacers app, if you've got that to get yourself into the Fieldhouse this year to watch games, uh, not just four locations in terms of, like, the Kroger locations where the players will be today, uh, but there's actually, like, 46 different vantage point locations for people to watch games at the Fieldhouse now. I'm exaggerating. But the renovations pretty much completed in terms of everything uh, for people that are going to the games and like the bar and hospitality areas within the fieldhouse itself are pretty darn cool, correct? 
Yeah, they are awesome. I mean, people have been watching this trickle out for the last three years. We are essentially done. We've got the Kroger Sky Deck, the standing room only bar up in the west balcony that's uh, left to be completed. That should be done by Thanksgiving. But aside from that, the inside of the building is done. Uh, like you know, we've opened it up. I'm, I'm looking at the sunlight coming in from downtown. You're getting some incredible views of the skyline. Um, awesome bar spaces, really new, uh, new concessions that are checkout free. I mean, the, the technology in this building is unbelievable. It already was, as you guys know, the best building in the NBA, but now you've, you've made it state-of-the-art for a new generation of fans. Plus, you've got all the incredible artwork uh, that we unveiled last week that is really, really just really cool pieces, nostalgic pieces. So a lot going on in the field house, and, uh, and when people come in, it's just going to be a brand-new experience. Yeah, definitely some really cool artwork. It was um, fun to see last week. Okay, Danny, before we let you go, uh, where are we at in general on ticket sales, and how much have you guys seen – that Bally Sports package that you're offering, how much, um, I guess, ticket packages did you see from from that? Yeah, you know, people are really excited about that because I think that, that was obviously, um, you know, as there's an evolution away from cable or, you know, most of our fans still watch uh, the team, get to watch the team on cable. But Bally, you know, with the Bally Sports Plus, uh, you, you can now stream the games. And people have really gravitated toward that, which is which is really nice. Um, so, and ticket sales are good. There's still some tickets left for opening night and beyond. It's a gold-out opening night, so you're going to get your gold T-shirt when you come in here, your, your revved-up T-shirt. But uh, but that's Pacers.com slash tickets. But there's still some tickets, but it's filling up, and it's going to be a great crowd on Wednesday. It'll be great crowds over the weekend. So we're really excited about the start of the season. Danny Lopez, again, Vice President for External Affairs and Corporate Communications at Pacers Sports and Entertainment on the Payless Stickers Hotline. Uh, Danny, again, everybody needs to download the Pacers app. 4 o'clock today, they will find out the four locations where players will be at participating Kroger's, and then they have a chance to get involved in $25,000 worth of giveaways from the the players at those four Kroger locations that will be announced at 4 o'clock, correct? Yes, sir. That's right. That's exactly right. So come out and see us. Come out and visit with the players. We'd love to have you out. Danny, thank you as always. You guys are the best. Thanks. Danny Lopez day. right there. And hoping to have Rick Carlisle on tomorrow again. Alec Pierce. Kevin furiously us. downloading the app to find out where Benedict Matherin At might 930. be. 930. Wow. Part of me thought the gasp, but then part of me did think, you know what? Rosie and Matherin, a picture. <laughs> Hopefully it goes better than the Rosie Pato Award picture back during that qualifying. Did, and you said she was screaming in the Pato Award yeah, photo, right? Very, that bottom lip is really far out, you know, in that picture. <laughs> now, what about Santa and Easter picks? Ooh, No. No go there. <laughs> really? No, no, we don't. Uh, Kringle and Rosie do not get along. How about the Easter Bunny? Now, we did do the pumpkin train over at Allisonville Nursery this past weekend. What an awesome now, day for I'm that. Now, I'm walking around at uh, in Oxford, Mississippi. I'm an old Miss on Saturday. I'm walking around, and my phone suddenly blows up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> blows up. All these people, what, what does Pat Sullivan have against you? What did you ever do to Pat Sullivan? Why is Pat Sullivan talking about you? And I'm like, what is going on here? Um, and so then I texted Pat Sullivan and just said like, Hey, like, were you like, were you joking about me on the air? Like what's going on? Oh, I texted the wrong Pat Sullivan. He writes back. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know what I'm talking about. So then I texted you. Now I'd like to know, I wasn't here to defend myself. So what do I need to defend against? I, I just think Pat was just joking a little bit about our morning show. And Mm -hmm. I think Denny Smith came to your, to your defense very quickly. I would expect nothing less from Denny, who's the nicest human being on the planet. Calls and wishes me a happy birthday every year. Uh, it was a great day over at Allisonville Nursery. To be honest, I don't You're still re- being vague about what I, Pat I don't said. remember exactly what Pat said. I was, you know, veering off into the pumpkin section. To Did see you not if, defend me? Well, I, I wasn't on the air to offer an opportunity. Ah, yes. Okay. I was simply shopping after the gotcha. 
pumpkin train experience, and yeah, Pat Sullivan did have a few uh, joking comments, tongue-in-cheek, I believe. Pat's a very dry humor kind of guy. Uh, that is an accurate statement, and I encourage anyone that has not done that pumpkin train. Oh, it's, sure, it's an unbelievable. Awesome, awesome experience over there at Allisonville Nursery. All right, uh, let's do our fan tweet of the game before we get into our conversation with Jeff Saturday coming up here in about five minutes. So, again, Mark sends this out. After every single Colts game, in five words or less, how would you describe what you just witnessed Colts-wise? What you just, what you just witnessed? A few of the ones that stood out to me. How about this from Steve? Reich and Ice rolling dice. That's a good one. How about this from Chris? Really? Ryan not sacked once? Brian, offensive line played with pride. Corey, the correct offensive line combination. <laughs> Bob, wins are bad for future. I didn't think there's a segment of the fan base. It certainly is with Bob on I that. I mentioned that earlier, and everybody killed me. Uh, Jake, this one from Colin, and I think this is, I don't know why he didn't tag you in this. He goes, nips are pierced right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, hey, if, if, if you've got sore nips. Uh, this from Eric. I liked Eric's here. Maybe there is a chance. Yeah, I did like that one. <laughs> That's pretty good. John Colt somehow over five hundred. It is kind of crazy that they're three, two, and one. This one is a question from Jeff. Receivers prove Ballard was right? Question mark. Again, did we forget about week one and week two? Veteran wideout have helped you out in either of those games. I think the offensive line is the theme from, from Oh, without here, question. Right? Without question. Outstanding performance, and fittingly, we'll have Jeff Saturday on in about 10 minutes to chat more about that. Let's do a morning check down. We'll get Major League Baseball out of the way first. Yankees-Guardians, a game five after Yankees defeated Cleveland yesterday 4-2. So the winner will advance to the ALCS where Houston awaits NLCS is set. That is Philadelphia and San Diego. College football from this past weekend. It was Purdue beating Nebraska 43-37. Indiana had a lead for over half of the fourth quarter. Um, to his little brother, the quarterback from Maryland, he gets hurt and Billy Edwards comes in and just runs it right down IU's throat and the Hoosiers let one get away, a big fumble late. Um, so now IU really desperate for bowl eligibility. They will have to win at Rutgers, at Michigan State and beat Purdue at home. They could do that. To get to a bowl game. They could do that and I could play Augusta National. <laughs> no way. Now, see, if I say that, everybody kills me, right? Oh, negative, negative, negative. You say it. It's funny, right? What the hell? What do you think the odds are of IU winning, getting to bull eligibility? Probably about like you playing Augusta National. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Sadly. Very sadly. Uh, Notre Dame got smoked as well. We don't need to harp on that. Yesterday, the Colts 34-27. They changed their approach coming out of the mini-bye week, realizing full well their offensive line has issues right now. How do they offset that? By going no huddle from the start of the game. Here was Frank Reich on the heavy, quick tempo approach. I really wasn't worried at the beginning of the game when we weren't scoring and they scored a couple times. We, we were talking on the sideline. I could feel we had a rhythm on offense. I, I felt like the no huddle, even in those first couple drives, was doing what we wanted it to do. 
but it was our first time really doing it. So I just felt like it was a matter of time before we get it going and wear them down and, and get some points. A brilliant, a brilliant move by Frank Reich, um, especially trying to find a way to I think, kind of like stay on schedule, stay out of the obvious third and longs. That short passing game, I think, made up for a lack of a run game. Um, and Matt Ryan got into a great rhythm. And, Jake, I think any quarterback, when you're able to get into a rhythm like that, now all of a sudden that throw to Alec Pierce at the end of the game, you feel confidence. You feel confidence in your O-line to hang in there. You feel confidence to live that, deliver that ball on the money. I think rhythm is the key word there, right? And just allowing a guy to, to, to start to get a feel for things. Other winners yesterday, by the way, in the National Football League of note, if you will, uh, New England over Cleveland, 38-15. That puts the Patriots back at 3-3. Three and three. How about the Jets at 4-2, and two, Kevin? And I feel like they're winning in a very, like, San Francisco way. I bring up San Francisco because Robert Saleh, their coach, came from there. It's not like they're winning with Zach Wilson throwing for 350. Correct. They're winning ugly. The number – I mentioned this earlier. This is interesting to me. Quarterbacks yesterday, it's a passer-friendly league. Do not get me wrong, okay? But yesterday, Marcus Mariota, 129 pass yards and a win for Atlanta – um, you have Zach Wilson, as you'd mentioned, 110 pass yards and a win for the Jets. Kirk Cousins yesterday, 175 passing yards and a win for Minnesota. The number of quarterbacks that we saw that from yesterday, it is Daniel Jones, 173 yards and a win for the Giants. Pittsburgh yesterday, obviously, you know, Kenny Pickett gets hurt and goes out after 67 yards. Mitchell Trubisky, just 144. Pittsburgh gets a win. Interesting day yesterday in that regard for the quarterbacks the around the league eagles stay undefeated they now head for a bye week out of the bye week they have steelers at texans commanders and then they come to lucas oil stadium after that commanders game which is on monday night football short week lucas oil stadium will the eagles be undefeated if the eagles come to indianapolis undefeated they will leave here with a loss will they be undefeated probably they will get their first loss at Indianapolis. Write it down. I said it earlier this morning, 7, 10 a.m. That is November 20th, a 1 o'clock kick between Nick Sirianni and Frank Reich. Nick Sirianni, a little different sideline demeanor than Frank Reich. <laughs> he dropped um, some naughty words, mm -hmm. right? Yep, yep, yep. Certainly a word, which no, knowing Nick Sirianni, not shocked by that one. But all of Frank Reich was quite happy, uh, as he should have been, when Matt Ryan found Alec Pierce for that game-winning score yesterday. Okay, Jeff Saturday, he joins us next here on Kevin and Corey. Talk about a far different tune with our next guest than we've had to start the season. Jeff Saturday is with us right now. Jeff, 58 pass attempts. The Colts don't allow a single sack. That's pretty rarefied air, not to mention for a group that's been um, – certainly has had its issues to start the season. No, absolutely. And listen, that's, that's a really good group that they, they blocked against. I mean, they gave them a ton of uh, five-man fronts. They were trying to single up and get an edge, and then they brought some uh, overloaded pressure. So I give a ton of credit not not only to the offensive line, but to the backs that picked up uh, blitzers in the inside, and to Matt Ryan not not holding the ball, but realizing when a play was dead to either get rid of it uh, or, or try to step up in the pocket and make something happen. But uh, you know, sacks don't always go to offensive linemen. Neither do, do, do days like this. It was it was a really really well executed game on all those fronts. Jeff, it seems strange to say this about a guy, you know, who is surpassing Dan Marino in career passing yardage, but even with that, with that level of experience for Matt Ryan, does a guy like 
Matt Ryan need did he need that no huddle to just get in rhythm and kind of let the feel for the game come back to him after obviously some disjointed play the first couple of weeks? And I, I definitely think he did. And, and listen, I, you know, I think you saw the Colts plan from the very beginning. I mean, you know, when they come out, uh, they weren't going to try to run Jacksonville out of that, that five-man front where they try to cover uh, the guard center and guard, but they were going to throw it out, which puts a lot of pressure and trust on the quarterback. And I think to your point, uh, you know, Matt, that's about as comfortable as I've seen him, um, not only in his drops, but in his awareness of where to go with the ball like the ball coming out on time. Uh, and then when there was pressure, he did a really good job. I, thought, I think the last two weeks, I honestly, have been his two best of stepping up into the internal portion of the pocket and delivering it. And so to your point, a guy who's played forever, it doesn't always come naturally to guys. Sometimes it takes a little time, and I think he's finding his way in this offense. I think you saw that yesterday. Jeff, what did you like about no huddle when you guys implemented it? Oh, man, rotation of, of D linemen becomes very difficult. So, you, you, you know, you're trying to fatigue them. And then also the alignment, like the amount of things that they can do to you, they can't surprise you nearly as much because they have a certain personnel group on the field, right? So you, you, you see which linebackers are going to play what position, where they're trying to put guys. It just clarifies everything. You really see it extremely well now that also limits you a little bit offensively because you can't do as many packages and as many exchanges as you do normally but I'm telling you it simplifies it from a defensive perspective and then again that fatigue on, on pass rushers having to put their hand in the dirt and then go turn and chase the ball uh, those guys get they, they get tired and you bec you become much more efficient passing off games understanding where pressure is going to come from and then trying to uh, uh, try to exploit where they are weak. Okay, I want to expand a little bit on what you just said there. Again, Jeff Saturday's with us here. You hear him after every Colts game right here on Kevin and Query. What, I guess, would be the cons? What would be the hesitancy? You, you did mention maybe it limits you know, your personnel groupings, your playbook a little bit. Why don't you think we see teams tap into it a little bit more frequently? Well, because you – right, so you know the group – the way the NFL works now is if you run a personnel group off the field – and then try to run a guy back on the field, and the defense has time to adjust to your personnel, right? Like guys are guys are running back and forth, and they're making sure, you know, the, you know, back in the day it was you're catching twelve on the field all the time. Guys are trying to, you know, sneak guys in back and forth. But but to yesterday's game plan, you're you're limited in how much you can do. So you know if you're if you have a two tight end formation in or two tight end personnel group in, you're going to run with that grouping. So what you know, no matter how many different ways you're going to try to move. The those guys around those defenses that's how they predict what you're going to do right that's your tendencies that's what you show so you become a little bit more boxed in with what you're going to try to accomplish and so now it's about exploiting what you know which matchups you can take advantage of and you saw Pittman you know time and time again drive forward come across over in the middle you know you because you know you have a good matchup whether it's on the outside or whether it's on the, uh, or on the inside you're looking for matchups now as, as, as opposed to looking for defenses or coverages as much. It becomes more of an ISO game, and I know I'm getting really into the weeds of football, but it becomes an ISO game where I'm looking at, hey, who do we match up with? Yesterday, obviously, we liked the Griffin matchup, no matter who was going against him. So we're going to, you know, Ryan's going to look over that way. Hey, who's, who's keyed up? Let's see what we can get on this route or this concept that we're going to run. 
But, again, it simplifies not only your offense but your personnel groups, but it does the same for the defense. I loved it as a player. Listen, you saw us run it. I mean, we ran it a ton in Indy when I was there, and it was because we believed our guys on the field were better than those guys. So let's go play 60 minutes with our best and see if they can keep up. Jeff, when you watch film around the league, just kind of off the top of your head here for Jeff Saturday, what percent of the time is on the field is what's taking place being predicated or based on the offense setting that tone and the defense having to adjust to it versus the defense setting the tone and the offense having to adjust to what they're seeing. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say 70% is off is predicated off offense. Okay. And um, you, you, yeah, you have very few defenses that can really dictate to an offense. So and it's a great question, Jay, but like so the re- the reason I was telling you about like that five-man front that they run, right? That Jacksonville wanted to run. So you really have two options. When they when they line up into what we call like a bear or a double eagle where the two guards in the center are covered and then you have two pass rushers on your tackle. So that's basically five D linemen versus five O linemen. And, th- and that's not counting the linebackers that are going to be behind that. Well, you either you – know, so you know you're going to have one-on-ones if you're trying to run the football, which is really difficult in the NFL. But it, all, it gives you an advantage if you can protect it because now they have five guys rushing and only six guys in coverage. So defenses try to dictate to you by putting those packages in. Uh, You'll hear, you'll hear defenses called like NASCAR packages, which are, you know, pass rushing type defenses or, and you used to see it like Rex Ryan used to have and Vic Fangio, you know, they kind of junk it up. You don't really know who is who guys are standing up and kind of walking around, but that's really, that's that 30% I'm talking to you about, but the other 70, it's really about the personnel groups that you're bringing from an offensive perspective and the alignment that you're placing them in and then a defense makes adjustments because they have x amount of gaps that they have to cover based on what you're bringing in so the the Colts themselves with this particular unit Jeff with Matt Ryan and Pittman and Taylor do you find that they are the ones setting the tone at about the same clip as the rest of the league or are they behind the pace there a little bit Uh, They're probably behind a little bit. Teams have played us for the majority of the season in taking away Taylor. And so what they they basically decided to do was we're going to stack the box we're going we're gonna to really make it really difficult on this, this offensive line to create gaps. You know, we, we're an inside zone, outside zone team, right? Like that's kind of what you're based in. It's not a gap scheme very much. It's really kind of you're going to give the ball and you're going to press it front side and try to get it backside. And so what teams have done is exactly what I'm telling you. They've lined up in that five-man front a lot or bringing extra linebackers down and saying, hey, we're going to force you to beat us on the outside and we're going to force Matt Ryan to beat us and we're going to bring pressure packages. So you can't sit back all day and do it. We're going to try to bring one extra or at least make five on five or six on six block and see if those guys can hold off long enough for Ryan to make it. I think yesterday was the first time that we really continued to take a defense out of what they wanted to do or really two weeks, the last two weeks, even though we didn't score a lot of points, but that we dictated it in, Hey, we're going to do it this way. And, and, you know, kind of, kind of come hell or high water. This is what we're going to execute in. And I think it's benefited us and, 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 um, you know, in winning those games, Jeff, I'm going to give you um, an observation. I want you to grade me a through F. Okay. Like, if this is the dumbest thing you've ever heard, that's an F, okay? Gotcha. Um, Jonathan Taylor is a wonderful talent, no question about it. But for this installment of the Colts offense at this point, 
the most important player on the field for them is actually Michael Pittman Jr. because he allows Matt Ryan a safety and comfort net, but also everything then draws off of the attention you have to give to Pittman in the passing game, which has allowed for Alec Pierce and Paris Campbell as well to start to show what they can do. Your thoughts? Yeah, D, I'm giving you a D. <laughs> I'm not going to crush you, with it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a D. Here, here is what I would tell you. when If Taylor was used as they're using the running backs yesterday, I mean, obviously the injuries have really hampered uh, you know, both of our backs, are, you know, the, the kind of two that we expected to be. But what you saw yesterday, especially in the pass game, screen game, quick game, whatever, however you want to phrase it, getting Jonathan Taylor the ball or, or that those touches in his hands, he's probably the most explosive player you have because of the position the, and, the, and the matchups he's going to get, right? At some point, it didn't happen a lot yesterday, people are going to take out or going to try to take away Pittman from you, and now where, where is your go-to, right? Is it going to be Paris Campbell? Is it, going to, is it going to be tight ends? You know, what is it going to look like? The problem for trying to do that against a running back is you can align him at all different points of the formation, and it's really hard to do that. You get him singled up, whether it's with a linebacker or with a safety, you can move him around and use him, whether he's catching balls in the flats or over the middle, and, and use it, whereas opposed to when you have a guy that's, you know, a Pittman who had an incredible game, but a lot of it's happening outside the numbers. You know, you try to get him inside to get him some different looks. It's just more difficult to do it. That's why you see receivers, when if they catch the ball, you know, six or seven times, it's a good game. Like yesterday was an anomaly, right? I mean, that's an incredible day. And, and look, hats off, Pittman's a freaking beast. I'm not taking away from him, but it's easier to take a receiver out of the game plan than it is a running back. And so I would tell you, our offense needs to continue to run through Taylor and, and, and through Naheem whenever, whenever these guys get back. But those guys have to be the focal point and then allow these, the other three to contribute when possible because you're getting those man-to-man matchups. Jeff Saturday is with us here. Again, recapping every Colts game with us. Jeff, um, the play call by Frank Reich there to go for the win, not settle for some 48, 50-yard field goal. What did you make of that decision and and the risk of, you know, maybe a sack, maybe a holding penalty? I mean, that, that wasn't just some foregone conclusion that it was an easy pitch and catch between Matt Ryan and Alec Pierce. No, I loved it. Look, man, I mean, he, he yeah, listen, he, he's an aggressive play caller anyway, but I loved I mean, here, here's the thing. I didn't think I, th- I thought it was feast or famine, and, but I didn't think you were going to lose much, right? I mean, you kind of knew where you were, um, but you had been going to the guy all day and being successful. So why, you know, why not at some point go challenge him? And I, I, I think it was the second. I think it was second and twelve or second and thirteen to play right before it, um, where where you, you know it was kind of a dangerous pass over the middle. I did like if you're going to make the challenge, it be outside the numbers where it's pretty much you don't catch it or the ball gets knocked down. You know, it's not like you see a ton of, you know, interceptions outside the numbers, especially late in games because of the way defenses are having to play you. So I thought, look, if you are, if it's a calculated risk. You know what I mean? So if we're going to risk it, let's risk it outside. Either we catch it or nobody catches it. We try to kick a field goal. Uh, but, man, look, he was, you know, Ryan was hot. He was putting the ball in great places. The receivers were making plays and making plays after the catch. I, I loved it and, and, and was happy it worked out the way it did, obviously. Jeff, last one for me. What did you think of uh, Dennis Kelly sliding in there on the third series and then sticking at left tackle for the rest of the game? 
thought he played fantastic. Look, I just went back and watched it, uh, you know, the all 22, and and uh, I, I, I counted one iffy. But other than that, man, the guy played as well as, as, as could be expected from a guy coming off this thing. He locked down. He is very physical. I, I think I was, I was surprised a little bit of the anchor that he had out on that edge. I mean, bull rush didn't really affect him. Plays really smart. Did a nice job passing things off. Uh, with he and Q out there, so I was really impressed with his performance and and thought that it looked uh, looked really really smooth that exchange on that left side. Doesn't it make you wonder, Jeff, what took so long to get him? I mean, I know that Dennis that he was a little banged up, but you know, once it started to work out and things kind of came together for that line, didn't you kind of wonder like why did it take so long for them to give him uh, some run there? Well, no, I, I think they expect. They, they, listen, I've been to I've been to the facility on Fifty Six, whether it was in OTAs or in training camp this year. They liked him. He, he wasn't practicing. Like I mean, when I was there, I didn't see him suit up one time. And so, um, I, I, you know, the expectation was once he finally got healthy, he would be a a uh, a key contributor, whether he was a starter or a backup. I think was to be determined, but. Man, like like I know Strauss that they, or, or Chris Strauss or their offensive line. I know he liked him a lot coming in, and so did Ballard and Frank. So, you know, I, I didn't expect him to come in the third series and do what he did. But man, the guy came in and, and locked it up. And to, to come off the to come off an injury like he has and be battling the way he was, he's a very smart player and, and understands the game extremely well. And I think you saw all facets of that kind of come to life against, again, a group that I think is really one of the top five defensive lines totally. in the NFL. You know, Well, I, I clearly clearly Kelly was ready because, I mean, he had sent a tweet basically saying, like, I don't understand either why I'm not why I'm not yeah. getting the call. So, yeah. you know, maybe they just wanted to make sure he was 100%, I guess, but obviously it worked out. Now you got to sustain it. Exactly. Now, now, now we got to show up each and every week, right? Keep stacking W's. And, and again, I, I listen – I can't tell you how how impressed I have been the last two weeks. Matt Ryan, his his ability to step up in the pocket, feel comfortable doing those things. And again, like the numbers, you know, yesterday's obviously numbers were much better than than the week before. But I'm telling you, just watching tape and watching the comfort of stepping up and making plays and making throws, you can tell his confidence is building in that group in front of him. Um, but but we're going to have to – listen, we're going to have to run the football. And, again, that wasn't a day yesterday that we did that exceptionally well. we we, we, we got to get our, our guys back and get back to grooving. But, man, if we can couple both of those things, this is an offense that uh, that, that has, has some, some true grit and power in it um, if we can get all our pieces and parts back. Certainly the best Colts fans have felt all year about a victory in large part thanks to that pass protection, no sacks, and 58 pass attempts. Jeff, tremendous as always, and we'll talk to you uh, next Monday. Have a great week, man. You guys too. Jeff Saturday right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We'll do it one final time here, Kevin and Quarry, on a Victory Monday. Jake Chad wanted us to hit on Shaquille Leonard's injury situation. Um, so just to double back on that, no Quiddy Pay, no Shaq Leonard on Sunday. Neither were placed on injured reserve. So I, that would lend you to believe the Colts expect them to be back at some point in the near future. Uh, remember, if you go on IR, you're out for at least four weeks. 
Uh, so Leonard has now missed two games. It was a broken nose that needed surgery. And then concussion protocol. I didn't see him on the sidelines. I, I didn't see him in the building. I haven't seen him in the locker room. Um, we know practice time, obviously, is very important for him right now. And the fact that he only played, what, two or three series when he came back from the back and ankle. So uh, we'll see if there's an update on him this week. But, again, the fact that they didn't place him on IR at least would indicate that you know by the end of the month they would think that be back, at least back to practice. Yeah, I would. I would think, um, you know, Leonard, and, and this is a I, I say this is a credit to guys like Bobby Okereke and EJ Speed, not as a slight to, to Shaquille Leonard. But how far into the game was it yesterday when when you had to remind yourself that Leonard was not playing? Yeah, it really for me, Jake, is just all centered around the turnovers. Bobby and Zaire Correct. are doing a tremendous job. And Zaire Franklin a, as well, yeah. Yeah, from a tackling standpoint. EJ Speed, a huge play huge. on a fourth down yesterday. But it just comes down to the fact that you aren't forcing a lot of turnovers. And that has obviously been Leonard's biggest um, calling card throughout his career. Let's get to Matthew. I know Matthew's been hanging on for quite a while. Matthew, always good to hear from you. <laughs> Matthew. You alive? Matthew, you're on yeah. hold for two hours. You're there, though, right? Yeah, that's every time. How's Maine? Uh, Maine is good. It's it's sunny and 45, so we'll take it. It's not pouring rain, thank God. And you'll take the game yesterday, right? Oh, absolutely. You want to talk about the two-point conversion? Yeah, I was a little bit confused as to why that was overturned. I, I know Sunday ticket has like a two- to three-second delay, but I feel like they never really explained it. Yeah, that was odd, um, and this goes back to my GOAT, and that would be a lowercase GOAT to the officiating crew yesterday. They announced it in stadium that Michael Pittman dropped that two-point conversion. Uh, Jerome Boger came on the mic and said that it was ruled that the uh, pass was incomplete and the two points are now being taken away. But, like, that was just an awkward, like, delivery from him. It was an awkward explanation. I felt like CBS and the few replays I saw in the press box didn't do a great job of at least getting a clear, clear look of it. it. It did look like Pittman dropped it for what it's worth, but I, I just think it took a while. That's one of those things where, Jake, usually I feel like you announce you're reviewing it before you go to break. Right. Where they went to break. Well, they were delayed. Yeah, it took a while for them to announce they were reviewing it. It was like, yeah. wait, what? And I'm like, that looked like it was incomplete. Pittman certainly acted like he dropped it um, just based off of how he was trying to, I think, reposition his hands underneath his body there. Um, to secure the catch. So, uh, one play that I thought was big yesterday, among many, was after you know Jacksonville had that huge drive to take the lead. The Colts did stop them on that two point conversion, and that was an 18 play drive. And I don't know, maybe is your mindset any different if it's 29 26 versus 27 26 on that final drive? I thought that, and then Isaiah Rogers having a nice kick return to start the final drive. I thought that was big. Rogers continues to be an active player that. You know, you you want to see more of uh, yeah. On Brandon Faison needs to be fan. benched. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. Alec Pierce though going to get up. He's got an early start tomorrow, right? Tomorrow with us at nine thirty. If you miss any of that, Jeff Saturday we'll replay that early in the show tomorrow, and then hoping to have Rick Carlisle. That is correct. Pacers season getting underway again. A reminder: Pacers Stay tuned app, to the app four o'clock today. They will announce where the players will be starting at five for twenty five thousand dollars worth of groceries and gas giveaways i think i do i go to all four kroger's for matherin or how <laughs> do, do i do yeah. that yeah. okay take make sure you got it covered everybody have a great day we'll talk to you